At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network jim donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll discuss the finals of the New Year's Golden Series, the 50th anniversary lineup, the 2022 New Japan Cup lineup, and all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only Browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm uh I'm doing pretty good, but I'm assuming I'm not doing as well as you are right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you guess you could say that. As uh, several uh, people, if you're following on social media, you've seen that I got engaged this week, and I popped the question to my girlfriend. Yeah, so you know, uh, congratulations first and foremost uh, to Jeremy and his. Uh, you know, fiance on their recent engagement. That's awesome. I'm glad. I'm sure everyone's glad to hear about it. Um, I was really glad to hear about it when I heard about it, like a few hours before you did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I was keeping it kayfabe. I, I was working. You know, I, I didn't want. Uh, I wanted it to be a surprise to everybody. I mean, there was a, there was a few people uh, in the know. They're kind of helped me set some things up, but. 
wasn't a oh, were there? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a completely like widely known thing. So yeah, you you uh, had invited me out Saturday night. I'm like, hey man, I'm I'm getting ready to uh, pop the question. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of uh, kayfabe. A lot of people didn't know. I mean, my parents didn't know it was happening. Her parents didn't know it was happening, even though I did get uh, the blessing from her dad. But I did not. When I talked to him, I didn't have a time and plan picked out or anything. So uh, it's kind of when, when you got the blessing, did he give you like an actual blessing? Uh, it was more, I guess, a, a, a approval, I guess. Then uh, I mean, he didn't really, you know, he didn't like bless me. Like, he didn't like throw holy water on me or anything, but. Uh, and throw holy water on you and like break a vessel full of oil that uh, <laughs> ran over your beard. <laughs> no, he, he didn't do uh, any of that, but uh, he should have pulled out like like a, a bunch of like like a sensor with like fog and steam coming out of it, like chanted and like ran it over you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, there was none of that, but yeah, my, my plan worked out. My now fiance has learned that I am a master worker. I came up with this whole uh, elaborate plan. She had no idea that was happening, what was going on. I, I worked her the whole way and got this big surprise reveal. So she was totally shocked, worked, and yeah, everything worked out great. That's great. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, you know, my, my big issue here is just that as your tag team partner, I felt entitled to this information much sooner than it actually was given to me. You know, and, and you can you can talk about you didn't tell your parents, you didn't tell her parents. That that's besides the point. You should be telling me this stuff. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you might not know this, but Jeremy, he moves in in shadows. Okay, he moves in secret. I lived with him. I never knew what he was doing. I never knew where he was going. Okay, very sneaky man. I'm telling you, but, uh, you know, putting all that aside, congratulations to you and Jen. That's awesome to hear. And, uh, you know, um, big things down the road. Yeah. Big things to come and uh shout out to all the listeners for the congrats message. Got some, come some here. Uh, Reddit user Grundy Dodds says congrats to Jeremy on your engagement. What wrestling theme music will you be incorporating into your big day? Just kidding. We all know it's going to be Billy Gunn's ass man theme. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Lobster Brisket says, congrats to Jeremy and his fiance on their engagement. And the Dark Soldier says, Jeremy, you're getting married. Congrats, but be careful on your precious day. Make sure that on the inv- invite list that the frauds, frogs, and people's names who rhyme with Duster, Herms, Kel- Keltsley aren't invited. You wouldn't let trips go to your wedding? Uh, I don't know if he's not, you know, trying to pull out what he did to test. Uh, you know, I, I ain't trying to have <laughs> none of that. Um, you know, I mean, there are some other people in the wrestling world. I mean, I'm, you know, kind of decent yeah. friends with uh, Joe Briscoe. Maybe I'll, I'll throw him in, but test, test, this is a test. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't even just have to be tests. I mean, look at what uh, recently came out with Dax Hardwood. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, I mean, they might try to, you know, the click might show up your wedding, try to job you out, you know? Right. Just try to beat me down, you know, all the finishers, super kick, pedigree, X-Factor, fame master, shake, rattle, and roll. Hey, hey well, at least X-Pac will tell you thank you at the end. <laughs> <There's that. laughs> uh, good job out there, kid. Yeah. Oh man! Well, I'm not gonna get into it. <laughs> Let's just say I don't like X Pac. All right, <laughs> you, you literally have X Pac heat. <laughs> yeah, I, I have actual literal X Pac heat. I don't like the guy. So, 
Oh, man. Well, enough about my engagement. We have a ton of stuff to talk about here tonight, and so we're going to try and pack this show in with as much stuff as possible and uh, not go completely over three hours. So let's start off. I'm hoping to go under. I'm hoping that we use an economy of words here. <laughs> well, yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, we'll try and uh, be as uh, concise as we possibly can be here. So let's start with the man that everybody seems to be talking about right now. We uh, we started the show last week talking about him, the Switchblade Jay White. He's had a, a big week this past week in AEW and on Impact. So. Last week on Dynamite, uh, he uh, cut a promo leading up to his match with Trent and, uh, you know, saying, you know, him beating Kenny Omega for the U.S. title was in part of the reason why Kenny left New Japan. And because Kenny left New Japan, he was able to uh, start AEW. Yeah, um, I don't think that water really, uh, you know holds up or anything like that uh but i mean that's kind of jay white's character you know he tries to make everything about himself he he does the same thing when he talks about the msg show and selling it out and yada 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 his accolades so i mean it's not on you know it's not outside of his character to to be making false claims anyways he's a heel Right, exactly. It, it, yeah, totally fit the JY character. Thought it was a, a real good promo, and it also ties things back to Kenny, uh, which then led to Friday on Rampage Slam Dunk, special start time at 7. Uh, Jay White defeated Trent Beretta on uh, a pretty good matchup. It was the first time that these guys had faced off in singles action. They've had some tag matches in New Japan, but first singles match here. Thought it was a really good matchup. I thought Jay looked great and really uh, kind of showed people exactly why he is a great worker and why he's at the spot that he is. Yeah, I didn't see this match. I was expecting it to show up on New Japan World. It didn't. And, um, you know, I, I have a life on Friday nights. I already watch, you know, enough wrestling as is. So uh, I don't watch Friday Night Rampage, and I did not catch this match. But I did hear really good things from trusted sources. And, um, you know, I'm hearing the match, like, in that four-ish like four range basically yeah yeah i won four stars flat on it really good match um jay once again showing his awesome counter wrestling the the finish was so awesome trent was going for the the strong zero and jay like flipped out and hit him with the blade runner one two three got trent out of there uh post-match angle with orange cassidy uh jay kind of pushed orange cassidy and he got in his face so Seems like at some point we're going to get Jay White versus Orange Cassidy. That might be. Maybe it's slated for the pay-per-view. It's coming up uh, next weekend, Revolution. We'll, we'll see what the plan is for that. I, I could even see um, that being a strong match. Uh, yeah, they could They could bring uh, OC too strong. We know the U.S. of Jay Open Challenge uh, has been going on strong, and several people have come into that. Uh, they just filmed the the rival show where he faced a, a free agent, and then the next tour is here in Tampa for um, Strong Style Evolve. So I'm sure the US of J Open Challenge will be happening there. So we might uh, see J versus OC here in Tampa. Yeah, um, hard to say, but I mean. You know, the thing with Orange Cassidy, even though he's a big star in AEW and he's gotten over, he's still taken a few dates here and there over the past year or so uh, on the independence. So, I mean, 
you know, a match with uh, uh, Jay White, especially if the two companies have kind of solidified more of a working relationship. I could definitely see that potentially being the case. I'm not saying it's for sure got to be that way, but yeah, I mean, why not have Orange Cassidy show up and lose on a, on a smaller stage, you know, and kind of like shield that loss a little bit, you know? Yeah, and speaking of that, just pull up the Twitter on New Japan of America, and they have officially announced some matches for Tampa, and one of them is a Jay White Open Challenge. So we will be getting a mystery opponent for the US of Jay Challenge. Well, I'll be there. Yep. Yeah, uh, while we're here, they also announced uh, Ren Narita versus Jay Lethal, Blake Christian versus Swerve the Realist, Mascara Dorada versus TJP. Huh. Some interesting stuff there. You totally no sold my uh, my whole thing about I'll be there. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were just being serious. <laughs> no, I was like implying that I'm the open challenger. Oh, okay. <laughs> that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, those are some really cool matches. Um, you know, kind of hard to unload them just as they're coming to us live. But uh, we'll be at the show. I'm sure as they start to air, we'll uh you know, be giving our previews and predictions, stuff like that. So uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, back to Jay White here. So this past weekend, Impact had their no surrender pay-per-view. Uh, Jay defeated uh, Eric Young on the show. And then there was the Impact title match with the Good Brothers, uh, Carl Anderson, Luke Gals, defending against Girls of Destiny, Tamatonga, Tangaloa. In a post match, or in the middle of the match, uh, ref was down, and Jay White comes out. Everybody thinks he's going to help. Uh, God ends up hitting the Blade Runner on Tamatonga, which allows the Good Brothers to retain, defeat God, and uh, Jay throws up the two sweet with the Good Brothers and Chris Bay. Um, then you know on Twitter uh, he retweeted a clip of the angle and tagged the Young Bucks. Uh, Young Bucks updated their bio saying they never cared for Tama anyway. Um, so very uh, intriguing stuff here. Yeah, uh, very intriguing. I mean, I don't know how, um, uh, like, zipped up the entire um, consolidation of the angle is across companies. You know, I don't know necessarily, like, if Tony Khan has any sort of input or the other principals like, uh, you know, the elite guys were made aware of what was happening and have any kind of voice on this stuff, or if it's kind of just a new Japan sort of making their um, stories known in AEW and then have kind of zipping up their own, their other stories and impact and trying to make them cohesive across uh, company lines. I'm not sure. But uh, it's very interesting, the fact that there was those tweets from the Bucks. It could just be that they're good workers, <laughs> you know, and they're they're just, uh, you know, yes-anding, basically, what, what was given to them via the tweet. Um, or it could be, like, a coordinated effort across all three companies where they have a, a game plan and a master plan in place, kind of like what uh, Jay was talking about on that podcast just the other week where he was saying he wanted to create the best version of the Bullet Club across all three company lines, which begs the question, what does this mean for the Bullet Club in New Japan and how do the current members in New Japan domestic kind of, uh, you know, feel about this? How do they play into it? What are the roles? You know, is this a split? Are these guys kicked out? What's happening? Nobody really seems to know at this current time, you know. 
Yeah, and I, I think uh, people were sharing something that Tokyo Sports said, and Tokyo Sports kind of made it sound like this was a, a split in Bullet Club, not that G.O.D. were kicked out. Um, obviously, we're, we're going to have to see how it plays out between Impact and Strong and AEW to kind of see truly what's happening. Uh, G.O.D., and we'll talk about it in a second, they are in the New Japan Cup, um, so they'll be back in Japan. We'll, we'll see how that plays out with the House of Torture stuff and uh, you know, ELP and Taiji are having issues. So there's there's issues all around in Bullet Club right now. Yeah, and it's hard to say whether, I mean, basically the deal, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but the deal with uh, Ishimori and uh, ELP is that ever since ELP lost the, uh, the medal from his foot, he is not, like, pulling the trigger on hitting people with uh, the super kick, you know? Right. Um, and that, that could just be an in- insular like isolated storyline between those two guys that just kind of happens to fit into the overall narrative of what's going on in bullet club you know right uh the interesting thing with all this though is like you mentioned tokyo sports reported that this was just a split in the bullet club you know the betrayal of, of tamatanga and it wasn't necessarily that god was kicked out um i'm assuming i don't know this to be the case but i'm assuming based on History, the fact that Tokyo Sports typically does kayfabe reports and sometimes coordinates with the company, I wouldn't be surprised if someone within New Japan like told them like, "Hey, God, when they come back, they're still Bullet Club," and they're like, oh, "Okay," and then that prompted them to kind of make that report, you know, or it could just be them speculating. It's hard to say, but I, I would guess that someone in the company probably gave them that directive. Yeah. So. Like I said, yeah, they're they're probably either kayfabe or speculating, but either way, this is probably going to play out into something bigger. We're probably going to get, you know, the Bullet Club Civil War 2.0, but this time we might actually get several different fractions. You know, you, you have House of Torture, you might have all the Tongans in one group, you might have like a strictly like, you know, white boy group with like Jay and ELP. The and, Gaijins? Yeah, the Gaijin group. and Well, well Chris Bay's not a white guy. Right, that, that's true. Yeah, he's in there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the U.S. group. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all kind of plays out and how it ties in. Like, are we are we going to get, you know, Bucks and Adam Cole tied in? Because, you know, the whole storyline right now is Adam Cole's the one that brought in Jay White, and Jay is doing all this stuff for Adam Cole and trying to appease the young Bucks. And like you mentioned, Jay wants to – you know, bring everybody back together and make a you know the, the best bullet club possible. So I'm I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out play out on the AEW side. I, I like the idea of that proposition. The idea that there's a bullet club in AEW, a bullet club in uh, Impact, and a bullet club. You know, obviously in New Japan because it's their uh, you know they own the copyright. And then potentially whatever these guys do in the independence, sort of like the old days, that would be really cool. Um, I am wondering if it's a little bit overly ambitious. Maybe at some point they'd have to give autonomy to the individual bookers from those companies if they did, you know, set up subunits. Uh, not unlike what NWO was like when there was NWO Japan and then, you know, the actual NWO North America. Um, but it, it does sound maybe overly ambitious just because we've seen them try to do so many like splits and civil war stories when it comes to the bull club over the last, I don't even know how many years at this point. And it's just never, it's always fizzled out and always kind of got thrown to the wayside, whether it's due to, you know, uh, business uh, effects or 
different things going on with sicknesses and injuries and other things pop up. It just seems like long-term, this is the one group that they haven't been able to kind of tell those sort of really uh, satisfying stories with because something pops up and it prevents them from actually completing the story or having a payoff. And I'm wondering, like, if them trying to do something like this on an even bigger scale, maybe this is the answer that people have been asking the question, what needs to happen to the Bull Club to make it relevant again? Maybe it's something like this, and it, it is exciting, but I don't personally have faith that New Japan can do this story even with just even just within their own company. So I have even less confidence that between uh, AEW and Impact that they're going to be able to pull pull this off, really, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm open to, to see what happens. It's definitely intriguing, getting a lot of buzz. Everybody's been talking about it. But like you mentioned, yeah, there's been factors in the past where it's made this stuff hard to play out. But, you know, with the working relationships, it seems like with AEW and Impact, I mean, if they, they work quickly, it seems like we could get some kind of uh, good story. Yeah, and in the immediate sense, I mean, there's interesting things going on too. You have to kind of consider, like, uh Hikaleo and how he kind of plays into all this because he's still on strong you know mm-hmm. um and he's been in the states and uh th- i know that there's a follow-up tag team match that's either been taped or will be taped for impact in the fallout of this pay-per-view where uh i don't want to be spoiling anything but god will be on one tag team's uh side versus the rest of the new Bullet Club guys, you know, Jay and um, Machine Gun and Bay and all them. So that kind of will be playing out too. And then obviously, like how this affects, you know, the House of Torture guys and the remnants of the Bullet Club that are still in Japan, like ELP. And I mean, there's there's all kinds of weird things to kind of unravel here. Remember ELP's like cryptic um, promo on Jay White during the Best of the Super Juniors? We haven't really seen how that what that was leading to, if that's still tied into this in some way. Um, and then there's, I don't know, there's other stuff too. Obviously, like with Ken, it seems like they're trying to build something between potentially Adam Cole and Kenny Omega down the line, and maybe this is a catalyst for that. But where does Jay White fit into that? Could they hypothetically build long-term to a, a rematch between Kenny Omega and Jay White through all of this? I don't know. I mean, that'd be really cool if they could do all that, but I'm just, I'm not totally sure where it's going. Like you, I'm intrigued. I'm willing to, to see where it goes, but I'm also cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yeah. And we had a bunch of questions on this topic. Um, so first from Les Commission 7252, did you guys see the funny tweets that Tangaloa and Will Ospreay went back and forth on? Yeah, so I saw that Tangaloa was like, or I'm sorry, Will had tweeted something to the effect you know, because obviously there's 48 um, individuals in the New Japan Cup this year. 16 guys are getting first-round buys, and he was like, I don't understand how I'm not getting a first-round buy, but some of these other jabrones are. It doesn't make sense how this whole thing's even working. We'll talk about that with New Japan Cup coverage, but uh, Tang Lo was like, well, maybe if you'd been in the country actually working for the company, you, you would have gotten a buy. And then Will Ospreay kind of replied to him. He's like, don't get mad at me just because Jay White chose the Bucks over you. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, next question here from Wiz Factor. He says, first of all, I just want to give kudos to Jay White for learning from his predecessors and firing the firing squad. 
And he says, for my question, how do you feel about storylines paying off in non-NJPW shows? I personally don't mind. I ended up paying the Impact Plus subscription, but it looks like some fans are ticked off that a story that started in last year's G1, J vs. Tama, ended on an Impact pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on what your um, mindset is on the whole thing. I mean, uh, the idea that there's synergy across companies is a very exciting thing. I'm glad that it's happening, especially considering the fact that Jay White can't even, you know, work in Japan currently, given his, uh, you know, visa residence status in the States. So, you know, you kind of also have to take that into account. I get, well, I guess regular fans don't have to think about that sort of thing, but that, you know, looking at it from a business side, I mean, um, they're probably trying to do the best they can with Jay White in this position, which is, this is a lot better than how they've been utilizing Jay over the last, you know, year or so where he has hardly worked uh, in any meaningful capacity outside of New Japan Strong. So, you know, kudos to them on those sides of it. But I do see where there could be a frustration um, especially since pe- there's a perception amongst many people in the West, and it's not even just perception; it is a fact that uh, New Japan interest in New Japan in the West is probably the lowest it's been since like 2015, right now. Yeah, and we're waiting for things like this to be playing out on New Japan World screens when we tune into like things like Golden Series, and then nothing on the entire tour ever happened that was nearly as exciting as this. And it is a little bit disappointing that they that you know um, that they did it in this capacity. I mean, I'm fine with it under normal circumstances, but because the company is going through the slog it's going through right now, I think it it, it kind of hurts in a certain respect because it's like, man, they're they're paying off these big storylines in Impact, and we don't even watch. You know, most New Japan fans probably don't even watch Impact necessarily, and uh, you know. It kind of sucks that we're not getting exciting things like this on the regular shows that we're waking up early to watch and or, you know, taking time to watch these three hour pay-per-views and there's nothing like this. Right. And I, I do understand, like, from their standpoint, like, obviously, Jay's trying to get his green card so he has to stay in the country. You already had G.O.D. in the country. So you want to do something big with these guys. And it's kind of hard to pull something off like this on strong because the tape show. So spoilers would come out and it wouldn't have probably have the same Effect and play out the same way So I get using the the impact And plus you know you have the whole access synergy Now with um, New Japan On access following impact So they're trying to tie those shows together A little bit so I get it but Like you said I do understand With the the lack of hot angles In Japan it kind of stinks having to see This on Twitter in Small videos or gifs if you're Not an impact plus subscriber Or a uh, paid member Of their YouTube channel I will say this, though. Um, if you are frustrated that this is happening, um, the way that they did it on impact in front of a half-empty building on you know a pay-per-view that most people didn't see, I get it. But I think you should take this as a sign of positive things to come for New Japan because this is clearly a New Japan storyline that's going to have some sort of effect, whether positive or negative. It's going to have some sort of reverberating effect within New Japan proper down the line. And the fact of the matter is they're still trying to do exciting things like this. Uh, They might have not done it 
on the platform in the company or on the stage that you're hoping them to do it do it in but when the travel restrictions are lifted which we heard some great things about that this week and you know the crowd restrictions are gone it feels like they're going to start doing things like this again in the company when they can actually commit to those stories you know and not have to worry about people getting sick and getting cooled off and all you know and everything like how it is right now where you can't even rely on you know, half the roster to actually be on the shows just because of how rampant uh, COVID is, you know? Right. Uh, so next we had a question from our user FitBeautiful2638. says, thank you for taking, talking about some of the issues with J slash AEW stuff and not meshing with, not, yeah, not messing with the existing NJBW storylines. Folks get so excited about cross-motion stuff that they tend to overlook that stuff. Uh, then the, do you think that the storyline consistency issues with Jay and the cross promotion stuff got better or worse of what happened on the impact pay-per-view? Um, I actually think it has the potential to be better because, you know, um, I, I already pointed out the inconsistencies last week. We don't have to rehash it. You can uh, go back to last week's episode and hear it if you want to check it out. But, um, you know, when he was on that podcast, like we alluded to, he talked about creating a unity amongst Bullet Club members across companies. And that kind of just sounded like, I don't know, fluff to me. But then when you see these different storylines playing out, I don't know how cohesive, cohesive they will ultimately end up being. But it seems like they're aiming to do something right in line with what he had claimed he was trying to do on that podcast, which is kind of surprising if I mean, um, what, I do have to wonder if they are able to pull this off, what that means for the brand Bullet Club and the merchandising across companies. You know, I, I'm sure Tony Khan and his business people are probably wondering about that sort of thing, too, if that ends up being a brand that they, like, adopt or, or promote on their, uh, you know, within their company. But uh, besides the point, I guess the thing I'm just trying to say is uh, I do think that this is a good step in, in the right direction to kind of retconning some of those issues and maybe making this cohesive. Yeah, I, I think right now at this angle, I think it could make things better. And I mean, it, I mean, as of right now, it really doesn't quite tie in with the AW stuff just yet. I mean, it does tie in with the promo he said on the, on the podcast about wanting to have things that spread across all brands. But this was kind of a storyline that kind of started in impact and hasn't quite made its way to AEW just yet. Obviously there was a whole, you know, Jay letting the young bucks know like, Hey, I look what I did and the young bucks responding. So it does make you kind of think, well, were the young bucks kind of in on this? They were, they want like God out if they were going to partner with Jay again. And so um, that kind of opens the door there on the AEW side. So I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out on the AEW side. Like is Jay going to, off of these guys' Bullet Club shirts, are, are we going right. to a temporary membership of Adam Cole and the Bucks back in Bullet Club? Are they going to decline being in Bullet Club? Are we going to have more Bullet Club invading of AEW if the Bucks don't want to play along? So, yeah, the other thing I've kind of got to wonder and consider about is like, yes, uh, there were a lot of Bullet Club fans, and a lot of those fans are in, in the West are those that are diehard AEW and elite fans nowadays. But I think that AEW has done a really great job over the past couple of years, kind of cultivating their own fan base, people that might not be that familiar with, I, I mean, I think they know there's a bull club, but I'm not sure how familiar everyone that watches that show is with 
the inside scoop with the whole history of the group. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm, I'm wondering how how much of a, uh, a main feature this could even be for the company. Is this something that's going to draw ratings for sponsors or be a focal point of their uh, two weekly TV shows and, and pay-per-views? Or maybe it's just one of those cool little side story things, sort of like when Mox had the U.S. title was appearing on, on cable with it, and then it will kind of go away. I don't know. Yeah. Um, another thing, too, you know, obviously the Good Brothers haven't appeared on AEW television in a while, ever since the impact relationship between those two companies uh, went by the wayside. But there was never a formal exiting of them. You know, it was never like the Bucks and, and Kenny disavowing them and so i have to kind of assume that their union on some level still exists even if they're not appearing on the screen just from a kayfabe standpoint so i wouldn't be surprised if there is some sense of cohesion amongst them because that's the way i perceived it personally even though you know they're not characters in AEW anymore they were just very recently right that's the way i see it too yeah there was no Kicking them out or making them leave AW. Also, the partnership ended, and they also didn't really tie up the loose ends. But so left the door open and be like, yeah, the the, the Good Brothers are also still friends with the Bucks, and this could lead to seeing the Good Brothers show up on AW again with Jay, trying to convince the Bucks, like saying, hey, Jay's a, a cool guy. Look, he helped us out. You know, you should work with him. Well, like let's put it this way: if um. In two weeks, for whatever reason, Machine Gun Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows just showed up on AEW. I wouldn't see that as like some big shock surprise the way like Kenta or you know Keith Lee was. I would just be like, oh, they're back. Right, exactly. The devil <laughs> in the distance. I don't actually I don't even know that song. I just know the first couple words. Uh, we had a question from the Dark Soldier. Uh, for a group who were called the firing squad at one point, how are G.O.D. the ones fired? Uh, I don't know, because they're just like a subunit tag team and within the Bull Club, and Jay's the leader, and he, he fucked him up and kicked him out. <laughs> 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 I mean, the one thing that's a positive out of this is we – Probably are going to get Haku versus Jay White, which I'm very much looking forward to. <laughs> that, that would be hilarious. Um, and you know, you know, Jay kicking Tama out actually makes all the sense in the world because Tama's always like talking crap on Twitter and like trying to like stir the pot, undermine him. Yeah, when it comes to like him versus Evil, who's a real leader, and like I feel like Tama's always been like kind of undermining Jay's leadership the whole time. Yeah, plus, like, if you've ever listened to his podcast, you know, he, he he's always, like, working. <laughs> right. I'm like, why, like, why are you working the fans on your podcast? Like, you know, it, it's your freaking podcast. Like, it, it doesn't have to, I don't know, I don't feel like you should be working your sliver of an audience, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I literally feel like there is a segment of fans that that listen to him in character talk about how, like, the inner workings of the bull club work and it's and it's him in character and they like eat it up and they believe that that's really what's actually happening in real life which is like dude he's a wrestler you're getting worked like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing i do hope happens i hope jay white shows up in wwe um if only for the reason to try and recruit aj styles and uh 
Prince Devitt back to the Bull Club as well and, and represent them in in the Fed, you know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if, if, if AJ Styles and, J- and um, Finn Balor were the new Bullet Club in WWE, who's one guy? Just one name real quick. Who's one guy that they could, like, add as their, like, underling? Um, uh, how about Champa? Champa, eh, maybe. I say Orton. <laughs> <laughs> A youngster, you know, young up and comer. Yeah, blue, blue chipper. Blue chipper, you know. Uh, next question here from Twitter follower it should at- be Cena. Oh, Cena. <laughs> yeah, Cena in a bullet club shirt. <laughs> Yo, that'd be even fucking raw. <laughs> Uh, question here from oh, oh, actually, real. I have a real response now. That I thought about it for two seconds. Ricochet. You know, I was gonna say him, but I'm like, he, he's Hontai. Well, he was Taguchi Japan, technically, yes, but uh, not no more. That's true. Yeah, you, you can you can throw the, throw the Bullet Club logo on uh, Ricochet. Bro, Ricochet and Bullet Club would sell shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Twitter follower at in art says I'm of the belief that once Jay White is back in Japan could be a while as the U.S. green card process can take a long time that he will be shot to the top of the card. Do you think he dethrones Okada? I think there's a good possibility he could be the guy to beat Okada. Um, he's been away from the title for a long time. They've tried. They've really invested to try and keep him looking strong and, um, you know, Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think he'd be really positioned well um, upon his return to potentially be that guy, depending on how everything lines up time-wise. Right. It all depends, really, on the mention here, the, the green card process. I mean, uh, we're, we've been kind of speculating that we think Okada is going to be the champ all year and go to the Wrestle Kingdom as a champion. So by then, could Jay be ready? Possibly. And, and you do a big J.Y. Okada Match the dome. They've had they have history in the dome. Um, last time they faced off in the dome, Jay uh, beat Okada. So there's, there's a whole story there of Okada trying to beat Jay, and then Jay trying to get the belt from Okada in the dome. So that's all a possibility. And then uh, last question here on this topic from uh, Mark O'Brien at MarkNato1990 on Twitter says, "What's next for God? Do they fall into Huntai or do they do their own thing? Are they still in some form of Bullet Club or firing squad with Fale again?" Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, we will have to let it play out, obviously. But, um, you know, I feel like there's a potential where, you know, in the interim, they are technically Bullet Club, but, you know, things are sort of up in the air and this might lead to them joining some other group or maybe even just getting ousted from Bullet Club altogether. Um, some of the things that you brought up, like having their own group, like, Firing Squad with Fale or some of the other Oceanic guys, that's possible. I don't know. Um, obviously, both of them were making big strides uh, as singles competitors over this past, like, G1, especially Tamatonga. We already know he can talk. So, and physically, he's in better shape than he's ever been before. So, you know, where it might have been kind of uh, questionable, could he be someone that's, like, at the top of a group, you know, either the leader or the sub guy? That seems not possible previously, but it seems more, I I don't want to say realistic, but it's closer to being realistic now than it was a year ago. Uh, I I still don't see either of them as being the top guy in a group currently, 
But um, like I said, I think he could be like the the sub guy, you know, the the un, the number two guy in a group right now. Right, and then um, you know, his whole run in G one this year was like this kind of hot babyface run. So maybe this will end up being a babyface turn for God. And again, they split off, do their own thing, their faces now, uh, and do something different. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, they've kind of exhausted all the stories and opponents that they have in Japan currently um, as heels. And turning face might be one of the only things they could do to tell new stories. But at the same time, I think they need uh, new dance partners as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's going to wrap up our talk on the Switchblade Jay White. Now we're going to transition into the New Year's Golden Series. We had the tour Wrapping up this past week So we're going to run through the results of the shows that happened during the week And then we'll focus most of our talking point on the final shows that happened on Saturday and Sunday With the big title matches Whoa, but I had deep thoughts about Flying Tiger and Kojima Versus the Bullet Club and Six Man Tag Action well, uh, uh, feel free to to tell tell the world <laughs> what you're feeling about that for that match. No, I'm just playing. Let's uh let's run down the cards real quick. Um, on February fifteenth, twenty twenty two, we had New Year's Golden Series Night Eleven. Great Okan defeated Kosei Fujita. Flying Tiger and Satoshi Kojima defeated the Bull Club, Fantasmo, Jado, and Ishimori. The Lij team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Sonata they defeated Tanahashi, Oiwa, and Honma. The Chaos team of Yo and Yoshihashi defeated the House of Torture team of Sho and Yujiro. Chaos team of Goto and Ishii defeated the House of Torture team of Dick Togo and Evil. Los Ingernables de Japon, Shingo and Naito, they defeated Okada and Akabe. And then um, the main event of the evening, we saw the Suzuki-gun team of Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Kanemaru defeat Wato. Taguchi, Yano, and Nagata in an eight-man tag team elimination-style match. Um, the rest of the week, on the 16th and 17th, we had video-on-demand uh, shows. Uh, Great Okan defeated Kosei. This is the February 16th show. Great Okan defeated Fujita. Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru defeated Flying Tiger and Oiwa. Bull Club's cutest tag team defeated Wato and Taguchi, team six or nine. Uh, Yano and Nagata defeated the uh, team of Doki and Suzuki. Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata defeated Togi Makabe, Hanma, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Shingo and Naito defeated Okada and Kojima. And then in the main event, the House of Torture team of Togo, Evil, Sho, and Yujiro defeated Goto, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi in eight-man elimination-style match. And then February 17th, video-on-demand show, Great Okan defeated Oiwa. Wato, Taguchi, and Hama defeated Flying Tiger and Fujita. Uh, ELP, Jado, and Ishimori defeated Doki, El Desperado, and Kanemaru. Minoru Suzuki and Taichi defeated Yano and Nagata. Ishii and Yo defeated Sho and Yujiro by DQ. 3 minutes, 51 seconds. Goto, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi defeated Dick Togo, Evil, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi. And then in the main event, another 8-man tag team elimination style match. Uh, the team of Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito, they defeated Tanahashi, Okada, Kojima, and Togi Makabe. That brings us, after all those preview matches, all the main event elimination style tag team matches, 
to the finale of the Golden Series, uh, both the 19th and the 20th uh, for the big shows of New Japan Golden Series proper. Yep, so we opened up the 19th show with the Suzuki Gun team of Doki and Takamichi Noku defeating Kosei Vegeta and Togi Makabe, our boy Doki, using the Italian stretch number 32 to get the submission victory over Vegeta. Yeah, you know, they call it the Doki Choke. It's supposed to be a choke, but if it's the Italian stretch, a stretch isn't a choke. A stretch is a stretch. What is he stretching? I've always... Uh, said this, and I will always say it. That is a double arm bar. That is not a chokehold. It's not a choke. <laughs> it's not a choke. <laughs> um, second matchup, another Suzuki Gun team. We had Minoru Suzuki and Taichi. They defeated the team of Rihoi Oiwa and Toriyano with uh, Taichi using the King Cobra twist to get the submission victory over Oiwa. And also, we had a lot of shenanigans here, uh, building to the dog cage match, which will be the next night in uh, between Suzuki and Yano. Then we move on to the next matchup here. We had um, the chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii and Yo. They defeated the House of Torture team of Dick Togo and Sho. Uh, Yo using the out of print to defeat Dick Togo and get some momentum going for the chaos team. Then we had the Great Okan defeating Tomioka Hanma at 12 minutes and 15 seconds with the Eliminator. And I gotta say, it's a nice little match here from Hanma. Yeah, I liked this um, quite a bit more. This is more in line with some of the performances we've seen from Hanma in more recent times. I'd mentioned last week how he was looking a little rough um, physically in some of the matches that we saw the previous week, but he looked pretty good here against Okan. And, uh, you know, a nice little jump of the match, uh, you know, 12 minutes, didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, I thought Hanma was very hard hitting, very believable and kind of just, uh, you know, grumpy old man kind of uh, not willing to get out of the way for this up and comer Okan. And, you know, I got to say nice to see Okan wrestling, uh, you know, someone that actually, well, I don't want to say has a chance, but someone that's not in just black trunks and black boots, basically. Right, and yeah, I felt uh, Hanma did a really good job here. This match, it was, it was pretty dramatic. Hanma was hitting a ton of Kokeshis and had Great yeah. Okan bumbling around for quite some time in the match. Looked like the upset was about to happen, and it seemed like Great Okan kind of barely pulled off the, the win here, which would actually lead to the story in his matchup the next night. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Okan, underrated seller, possibly? Oh, yeah. I, I think Okan's just uh, underrated in general there's i always see tweets every day about people hating on this man that he sucks he's the worst and blah 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 but i don't know i'm seeing something different i'm seeing great selling i'm, I'm seeing the fire he, i'm seeing the good matches uh i think okan rules yeah uh i think okan's really good in fact we'll talk about it the next night but he, he innovated a new move that i've ne- well i'm not gonna say he innovated but he introduced a new move to his repertoire that i've never seen before that was freaking awesome. He seems to be doing stuff like that all the time. Very creative guy. I think he's very talented all the way around. And uh, I don't know, some of that Dave Meltzerism or, you know, just people kind of, uh, I don't know, fooled by the gimmick. They don't they don't get that this dude's actually like fucking good. Right. Yeah. This is going to be like that dokeyism. Like, I feel like we were on the Ocon train super early. And, you know, as time goes on, more and more people are going to like, 
understand that he's really good. <laughs> right. You know, but I don't know. He won the technique award this year. So, right. <laughs> Um, so the next up we had the LIJ team of Hiromu, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito, and Bushi. They defeated the team of Nagata, Kojima, Tenzan, and Okada when uh, Shingo hit the last of the dragon on um, Yuji Nagata here. Yeah, I haven't had much to say about most of the other undercard matches you previewed or, or you know reviewed here real quick uh, or just, I guess, ran down. Uh, mainly because, again, these are just kind of mostly preview matches. There's not a lot going on in most of these matches. But one thing I did notice here, uh, that made in Japan was maybe, aside from the one that he killed Tanahashi with that one time, that this one the worst. I, I don't mean uh, worst looking in the sense that, like, uh, well, I guess Shingo, it did look like Shingo kind of fucked up. But um, I guess he saved it at the end. I don't know if you noticed, like, he took Nagata all the way up brought him down high angle on his shoulder as opposed to his like back yeah i was like holy fuck, <laughs> it was like he brain bustered him without being under him to cushion the brain buster it was scary i was like dude <laughs> you know sometimes he, he usually hits it great but like uh it's hard to kind of control something like that to have a guy that high up i, I was nervous when he dropped a god i was like god yeah that was scary um, and then one correction here, uh, Sabushi was not in this match, neither was Tenzon. Tenzon, um, he did not get cleared for the knee injury, so this was turned into a six-man tag. Uh, yeah, I was confused because I'm, I'm reading the, the rundown. I was just going to let you roll with it. I was like, damn, I don't remember them being in this match, but, <laughs> you know, Jeremy said it, so he's usually right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I also have uh, the New Japan website up just so I can remember um, the finishes and uh, what maneuver was used. I know some of these new maneuvers have new names, so... I'm trying to look at that, and this on the site it still had uh, Bushi and Tenzon on the graphic. Yeah, you, uh, what was that? You, you um, talked about Show's move, and you you talked about the name. Was it? Is that the name that he gave to his to that uh, submission hold he uses now? Yeah, I guess so. I think it used to be called something different. It was like I feel like it was right. like Stargazer or something. But yeah, on the site they're calling it the the out of print. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. And actually, no, I said show. I meant yo. Yeah. So yo, the, yeah. Okay, so the out of print is his like half killer move that he. Well, you know he he altered that move though, so that might be the reason for the name change. Yeah. Have you noticed that when he's doing it, he now grapevines the other leg and then wrenches back to a higher angle? Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, so I think that might be. Uh, the reason for the renaming as the quote unquote out of print. I don't know why. Why would you call that move the out of print? How does that? I don't know. Bro. How does that relate to his character? In Bro, it, it, it's yo. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's the only explanation. To <laughs> I'm not usually in favor of like them having like writers, but they might want to have some like some agent or someone with work with show and yo like <laughs> save these boys. Yeah. They're too talented to go by the wayside this way. Like, what's going on? Uh, so the next we have the first title match of the evening: IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title Match Four Way with uh, Team Six or Nine. They did it. They became the 69th Tag Champs by defeating Bullet Club's cutest tag team, Flying Tiger and Suzuki Gun, in this four way match in 12 minutes and 22 seconds. Yeah. Uh, very enjoyable match. Um, I don't know that I would say necessarily that I put it on the same level as like 
um, some of the classic three and four way tag junior tag matches that we've seen in the past uh, in New Japan. But um, this is a hell of a lot better than most of the junior tags that we've had over the past couple of years. It's, it's actually something that was high flying, fun, fast, energetic. Uh, I didn't even care that they weren't even tagging and that they were basically using like bastardized lucha rules for this match because people were jumping and flying and diving and catching, which is, you know, we even get that in super juniors this year. So I'm like, fuck, like, you know, no Fantasca mania, you know, we get fake ass super junior tours. Like, let's just do it. Like, let these guys fly. I don't care. Yeah, this was a really fun match. I enjoyed this match a lot. Like you mentioned, they kind of use uh, some, some loose Lucha rules here. So there were pretty much was never really a true legal man. Whoever, there was no tags in the whole match. Right, yeah, no tags, no legal man. Whoever was in <laughs> became legal um, and could make a pin. There was double team moves. Uh, but, yeah, these guys are flipping and flopping. Uh, one of the big spots, uh, Robbie Eagles did a uh, super Frankensteiner to ELP oh. and launched ELP into um, Taiji and uh, Despi and Kanemaru to the outside. Uh, so that was a, a cool spot there. Yeah, that was like the spot of the match, basically. Pretty pretty awesome, if you ask me. Yeah, and then a bunch of great um, just double-team sequences and maneuvers. Like we um, alluded to earlier, there's been some issues with ELP and Taiji. And ELP, you know, Taiji would have people set up for a super kick, and ELP would not want to throw a super kick because he's, you know, lacks a confidence after the um, sudden death. Uh, the medal's been revealed so they've, you know, had some miscommunication. The people were able to take advantage of their miscommunications uh, throughout the match. Uh, but ultimately, at the end, uh, team six or nine, they they hit their uh, their number nine uh, finisher at the end here and became the 69th tag team champions. Yeah, I guess the name change is official. They are team six or nine now, even though they weren't previously. They are now. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, I am kind of wondering if there's more to the nuance of the Phantasmo Ishimori issues. Like, is Phantasmo actually having an issue of confidence? Uh, you know, because he knows that if he throws the kick, it's not going to be as devastating as it was when he had the loaded boot. Or if it's something where, like, he keeps leaving Ishimori hanging out to dry, and it that's, like, not necessarily not on purpose you know what i mean right yeah because ishimori seems to be the the guy that's getting the brunt of the consequences from him not throwing the kick so maybe he's sabotaging the team on purpose i don't i don't know what's going on i think we have to wait and see right i mean Um, it it could lead to ishimori maybe going to house of torture or maybe elp is gonna leave bullet club or he joins some other one of these fractured off pieces of bullet club yeah i'm not totally sure but uh, again, the match is very good, um, and now six or nine are the tag team champions. Uh, if you'd ask me, uh, you know, we always get those questions about, like, who will win a title next, you know, out of these guys. or yeah, we, we always get those hypothetical title win challenge type questions, and I never know how to answer them because I'm like, uh, sometimes this company is really hard to predict with stuff like that. And I mean, uh, take a look at Watto, for example. Um, if you'd asked me who was more likely upon returning from excursion to win their first title, uh, great Ocon or Watto, I would have taken Ocon all day. But I mean, 
you know, you, you consider how competitive the heavyweight divisions are, and then you take a look at how how much they hot potato junior titles around, and it kind of makes sense, you know, why Wato was the first guy of those two to win a title. So, um, congrats to him, though. By the way, I mean that's really cool that he can finally say that he uh, he's got a measure of success in New Japan, which I I think is definitely deserved at this point. Yeah, I mean, Yobato, he's been looking a lot better, kind of finding confidence, been tweaking this you know, master Wato gimmick. And like you, yeah, I would have definitely would have picked uh, Okan to, to get a title first over Wato. But, uh, yeah, and I think also it does help that there's um, kind of a limited junior division right now, so that, that does give Wato the chance to uh, improve and shine and take advantage of that. So uh, good job for Wato there. Nice. So we move on to the next match. Yep, the IWGP tag team title match, heavyweight tag titles. Uh, the team of Bishimon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi successfully defended the titles against House of Torture, Evil, and Nujiro. And uh, Yo and Ishii were out with Goto and Yoshihashi, while Dick Togo and Sho were out with Evil and Nujiro. Yeah, it makes sense because the feud is not just between these four men, but it's between all eight of these guys. Uh, spread across these two distinct uh, factions. And so, you know, also just common sense because of how much interference Dick Togo and Show have run, um, you know, for Evil and Yujiro. Um, it's a good idea, I guess, that Goto and Yoshihashi finally, like, had some equalizers on their side, which uh, proved useful <laughs> in the match, obviously. Um, I do kind of wonder if this sort of just had a lot of the same like kind of carbon copy feelings to the uh the lumberjack match that we just saw earlier on the tour though yeah kind of because i mean you you have all these guys out here they're all getting involved we had show on the outside using a chair dick togo uh jumping in um you know yudro um bumps the ref at one point which then allowed you know kind of a melee to happen with everybody uh, kind of running in all how the Torbert members came in Goto um, both Goto and Yoshiyashi they had like walking sticks out so Goto uh, used uh, his stick uh, to make the save and get rid of some of the uh, guys there and then the rest of chaos uh, Ishii and Yo got back in and then referee came back in Yoshihashi and Goto kind of took back uh, control there and then eventually were able to hit the Shoto on Yujiro to get the win yeah, I mean, I, I felt like this is very by the numbers when it comes to a Chaos versus House of Torture match. Uh, you know, I think it being a tag kind of helped the quality a little bit. I think having equal equalizers on the face side kind of helped a little bit. But, I mean, it's the same spots. It's the same interferences. You know, nothing new. It's nothing creative. You know, luckily it was only 16 minutes, but I mean, it's chalk galore of all the uh, the run-ins, the interference, the bullshit, you know, the ref bumps, yada, 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 what have you. And then, uh, you know, they ultimately they pay it off at the end because Bishamon does retain, but this is only after the frustration of many, 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 you know, near falls and, you know, running, you know, defense and interference from the heels. So, I mean, I mean, there's only a ceiling on how good a match like this can actually be. Right, it's probably, at the end of the day, probably one of the least offensive Hell of Torture matches, just due because right. of the, you know, you, you kind of know the, the game plan, and you, the, the, the faces actually have people out there helping them out, so 
from that standpoint, when you look at all the matches they've had over the last year or so since they formed, this one is definitely not the worst, but at the same time, like, it's not the normal, you know, tag team quality matchup here. Right. So then that takes us to the main event of this night. We have the IWGP U.S. title on the line. And the Cole Skull does it. Sonata wins his first singles title. He defeats the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 29 minutes and 26 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I know that I kind of called this last week. I I wish I could be the guy that takes the victory lap here about it. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's not like I had a... Uh, very confident feelings that this is the way it was going to turn out even last week when I said that, you know, um, as far as the actual match goes, I thought the match was great. Um, I really did. I was very, very, very uh, impressed with, uh, you know, the layout of the match, uh, the performance of both guys. I think this is one of the best Sonata performances in a long while. It feels like, um, I wouldn't say necessarily it's the best match he's had in New Japan because he's had some great singles matches with other guys, including Tanahashi. But um, this might be right up there as the best Tanahashi Sonata match. And I loved the just the work they did, the the classic technical style wrestling and you know a lot of the great leg work and the drama of that with Tanahashi working over Sonata's legs. Uh, he, he was a little inconsistent with selling that leg, um, obviously. I, I think that's always kind of been a complaint with Sonata. But overall, I mean, I, this match was, for me, something I wasn't even that invested into. I didn't think the build was anything that compelling. And they really went out there and kind of won me over uh, in the ring. And, I, and then the surprise of the fact that after six years, Sonata finally has his first singles gold, which is, uh, you know, depending on, on if you're a fan of him, either awesome or not. I mean, there's some people that probably are not thrilled with it, and there's probably a lot of people that are like, wow, it's a long time coming. So, Yeah, I really enjoyed this matchup as well. I thought it was a great uh, main event. And you know, this matchup, the story was almost you know, kind of a anything you can do, I can do better uh, scenario between Sonata and Tanahashi. We saw a lot of great you know, grappling and exchange of holes. And uh, both of these guys trying to just one up each other with their wrestling. Both guys, like you mentioned, were targeting uh, legs, especially Tanahashi, also with the Dragon Screws and others. Uh, near submission spot with the Texas Clover Hold from uh, Tanahashi. Both guys trying to use some of their bigger moves. Tanahashi did hit the uh, high fly flow to the outside on Sonata. Always a, a great, you know, classic Tanahashi spot. Isn't that crazy? Because a few years ago, he literally said he was retiring the move. And if he ever did pull it out, it would only be on the rare occasion. Like, basically alluding that he might only ever do it in, say, like a Tokyo Dome-style match. And then the guy does it in every singles match, no matter who it's against. Right. (laughs) And, like, how is his knee still holding together? I don't get it. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'm just waiting for that, you know, cockroach mask moment to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For those of you that don't know what he's, uh, you know, talking about, you need to watch uh, My Dad is a Heel Wrestler. It's a great movie starring Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, and we we also reviewed that uh, during the the early days of COVID. So go back on the feed and uh, watch a movie and check out our our review of that. Oh, my God. I forgot we did that. (laughs) (laughs) Um. 
So also some several uh, near submission stuff, you know, Sonata going for the Skull Inn. And I thought it was interesting that uh, Chris Charlton pointed out the Skull Inn is not a Dragon Sleeper, that it is a, a neck crank. Um, so we've always had questions. I, I've said this that. before, right? Yeah, we always have questions about people complaining about Sonata's Dragon Sleeper, but it indeed is a, a neck crank. Um, Tanahashi, though, was doing a Dragon Sleeper here when they would uh, kind of switch out between... Holds here a lot of great um, submission encounters. Both guys going for their aerial stuff. Um, Sonata went for the moonsault a couple times and, and missed. Uh, Tanahashi went for the high fly flow a couple times and missed. So just kind of this great back and forth, tit for tat. Both of these guys just trying to to one up each other um, until we get to the closing stretch here, where uh, Tanahashi he he hits a sling blade and he goes for another high fly flow, but Sonata rolls out the way. And then does a uh, bridging leg clutch and gets the pin on Tanahashi. Yeah, um, I really liked the finish that, you know, going down the closing stretch, these guys had so many close calls and near counters and all these transitions. Very, very, you know, New Japan main event style. And they kept trying to hit each other with, you know, moonsaults, high fly flows and submissions and and everything like that, all their big stuff. But ultimately, it ended up being a rolling bridge pin from Sonata over Tanahashi, which, like you said, a tit for tat, anything you can do, I can do better, kind of proving who's the better man. And when you when you consider a match between two essentially face characters, I, I usually find that it's best to, unless there's a personal animosity or deeper sense of rivalry, it usually makes the most sense to have one of them beat the other guy clean with a clean pinfall combination. We've seen it many times over the years in lots of uh, different like companies and, and situations where like just uh, kind of a cool pinning combination like that shows that the other person was able to skillfully beat the other guy as opposed to just knocking him out with his finisher. You know what I mean? Right. And at the end of the day, this is what Tanahashi wanted. This was the whole story. Tanahashi you know, he wasn't happy that he had to, you know, go in that place for the for the death match at Wrestle Kingdom, and he wanted a more classical wrestling match, a wrestling challenge. And that's what he got here. Um, so ultimately, you know, paid play the story off. And Tanahashi, he got out wrestled. He he got caught in that pin. He couldn't kick out, um, and so that's what he wanted. That's what he got. And so we ended up, you know, Sonata getting the the big win here. Uh, question from Raising Falcons says: Now Sonata is a singles champion. Is a world championship run in the near in his near future too after he drops the U.S. belt? You know, I'm gonna say no, but I think we have a, a clear cliched answer at this point. Right, evil held the title. Anyone can hold the title now. Right, and at this point, though, know, if you asked us a few years ago, it, it could be a different ball game. But with evil being champion. As, like literally anybody like in the on that mid kind of upper mid card level could get the title um so we'll we'll see if they do pull a trigger but at, right now i would say might be unlikely especially with the borders about to be opening back up and people getting their visas and coming in it's definitely going to increase competition and we'll probably get back to a higher standard so we'll we'll, we'll see what happens I also thought it was interesting that, like, you know, the joke was always kind of that the U.S. title was like the Gaijin belt because for so long, hardly any domestic stars challenged for it, much less ever won it until Tanahashi actually won that belt. No domestic uh, wrestler had actually held it. 
And then to go from Tanahashi over to Sonata, I just thought that was kind of interesting. One other thing, though, is, you know, kind of answering his question. I don't know what kind of, I don't want to diminish the fact that he beat Tanahashi in a, you know, big stage main event like that for one of the top titles in the company. I think that's an incredible achievement for sure. Uh, as far as what they do with him going forward, um, I think a lot of that will have to do on the successes that he has in this role. You know, uh, look at um, Shingo. You know, he was very successful on a lot of different levels as the Never Champion over several stints. And I, I don't mean that, that that necessarily qualified him to win the world title, but when the time came and the opportunity arose, they already had a little bit of equity and faith built up in him and were able to kind of pass him the ball, you know? And so I think if Sonata positions himself right, maybe if the stars align, that sort of same thing could happen. It also could be a detriment. But the other thing too is we don't have, this is not necessarily the IC title. More traditionally in the past, if a guy had a really great IC title run, that might mean potentially that they could be next in line for a world title. But right now with, Ever since they got rid of that IC belt, it's still unclear what kind of role, position, and importance the U.S. or the Never title even have in the company. So I don't know what this even translates to within the internal views of, of the bookers and the company and everything like that either. Yeah, it seems like they are trying to kind of establish it on that IC level, especially, you know, putting on a guy like Tanahashi and then having it brought back over and now a guy like Sonata has it, it does seem like they do want the U.S. belt to be that number two belt and kind of that stepping stone into the world title picture or at least kind of a main event picture. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, right. we, don't, we don't know if that's the case for sure. Like you mentioned, we have to kind of see how the Sonata title reign plays out. Uh, but Sonata, you know, he's a guy that when we were in Dallas was, you know, super over, got good reaction, so – as a U.S. champ, I could see him coming over to the U.S. You know, there's several big shows coming up. He's a guy that uh, I think is popular with the, the U.S. fan base in the West that could come over, be a part of these tours, and be you know a cool attraction. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I do think that they're trying to do that, but it felt like they might have been trying to do that with the Never title previously. And right now it doesn't feel like they succeeded in that. And so who knows long-term if that's what this will even mean. You know, I, I definitely see that it seems like they're they're trying to establish the U.S. title as that secondary, you know, uh, important title. But then again, putting it on Sonata doesn't necessarily scream to me, I see title. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like that, that belt would have needed to have been more established first um, before giving it to him to have that, that to give him the rub, so to speak. Uh, that's not to say that he couldn't elevate the title himself while holding it. I mean, look at Nakamura. When he first got that icy belt, that thing was in the mud. It didn't mean anything. And he elevated it to a status to where, you know, it, it was the major secondary title in the company where previously it wasn't viewed that way. So hypothetically, Sonata, if he has a good run, could do something similar. Right. So yeah, post-match, Sonata cuts his promo, offers Tanahashi a rematch anytime, and so it sets things up for the future for Sonata. And that will take us to 
uh, Sunday's Golden Series show, the last show of the tour. So it kicked off with uh, Bullet Club, ELP, Jado, and Taiji. They defeated Flying Tiger and Vegeta with uh, Ishimori hitting the Bloody Cross on Vegeta. And the El- only interesting thing here, oh, I'm, you actually, actually, you probably want to tell about the finish, huh? No, I was just, I was just to say, the same thing we were talking about ELP, he failed to hit the super kick, and Ishimori got frustrated and just hit the Bloody Cross. Right, so they kind of show that there's still some turmoil between those two guys, whatever whatever is kind of going on under the surface. But uh, the interesting thing to me was, as they were going on the air, Kevin Kelly was talking about the ongoing storyline that had just unfolded over an impact with Jay White and the Good Brothers and everything like that. And then, you know, we, we start the night off with the Bull Club match, and, you know, Phantasmo and Ishimori and Jado, they're all coming out. And when they pass the uh, commentary station, they're like, what's going on? And Phantasmo's like, dude, it's crazy in that locker room. I don't speak Japanese. I don't know what they're saying, but it is not good. <laughs> and then he was like, uh, he asked the LP, he's like, well, well, do you know, did you know about it? Do you, did you know anything? He's like, well, I, I text Jay. And then he, he texted me back and he said, ah, never mind. And he like, didn't tell me. Right. <laughs> and uh, Kevin was like, no, tell me, tell me. <laughs> So, you know, uh, even with that, like, we can kind of see how they're working in the, well, you know, Kevin's really great at that sort of thing, just like interweaving the stories and everything like that. Uh, and then I thought it was funny when Chris Charlton's like, you notice Gato's not out here. And Kevin was like, where is Gato? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they did a great job at playing that up and, you know, tying in what happened on Impact. So if you missed, if you didn't see Impact or you missed what happened on social media, did a great job kind of pulling it in and letting people know what happened. Yeah. So the next match, we had Doki and Taichi defeating Oiwa and Ishii in 9 minutes, 11 seconds. Taichi using the dangerous backdrop to uh, pin Oiwa. And then post-match, uh, Taichi and Ishii were jawjacking, probably, you know, talking about uh, New Japan Cup and claiming who was going to win what. So. Right, which would be cool if they were in the same sides of the brackets but they're not so right. <laughs> uh but yeah that dangerous uh backdrop was one of the better ones i've ever seen tai chi throw and he throws great ones every time so i mean yeah he he murdered oiwa that uh with that then after that we had a non-title junior tag match here with the new champs team six or nine they defeated Yoshinobu Kanamaru and El Desperado uh, Taguchi getting a roll-up on Kanamaru for the win. Yeah, so Desperado and Kanamaru, they're in the mud. You know, they got to go back to the back of the line. They got to beat the Young Lions before they can, uh, you know, start moving back up the rankings. Uh, then the uh, following match, we had the great Okan defeating my man Satoshi Kojima, 10 minutes and 23 seconds. And like we mentioned in the previous match, Okan, he was bumbling, he was, he was bumbling, he was getting rocked by Hanma, and he would not let that be the case here. Yeah, in this match, it was really interesting. Um, for the majority of the f- like first half of the match, Okan was strongly in uh in control i felt like he had a really prolonged uh heat segment where he just stayed on top of kojima worked him over but then towards the tail end kojima turned things around and just started 
blasting Ocon with, uh, you know, lariats and clotheslines and actually started to have Ocon reeling again. But Ocon was ultimately able to uh, regain the momentum and he worked into the claw hold. And then he did this weird move where, uh, if, if I recall correctly, he had, he had uh, Kojima in the claw. Kojima's trying to elbow out of it. And then he ends up putting the claw back on him. And he does this like straddle thing where he like, has him on his back, and he starts spinning around with Kojima on his back, like in a cross. I don't even know how to describe it, but he, uh, you know, he, he's basically got a hold of Kojima in the claw hold on his back, and he's spinning around, spinning around until he spins him out to a pancake. I'd never seen that move before. I thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah, that was dope. Yeah, um, Ocon was doing a lot of dope stuff in this match, and you know, right from the opening bell, he did like an arm drag throw into an arm bar, on Kojima. Oh, and he almost tapped out Kojima. Yeah, on on the lariat arm, and I thought it was gonna be a squash. Like I would have, I thought it might have been. I, know, I love Kojima, but it would have been cool, like kind of moment there for uh, Okan just walking and squashed him that quickly. Uh, well, they they definitely made Okan look strong because I mean he, he almost got that early submission. He was in control most of the match. Yeah, it was he, only like the tail end where Kojima really started to like rally and come back and and had him in trouble, and then. That got cut off, and, and you know, Kojima got beat. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ocon, he was using a, a chair on the outside to the, to the lariat arm there in the early part, but the, the kind of the key moment for Kojima, he hit a lariat to uh, Ocon off the top, and Ocon bounced off and hit his ribs on the guardrail, and that's where uh, Kojima had a little bit of uh, offense back, but then uh, Tenz- or Koza- uh, Ocon was right back. He hit the Tenzon tombstone driver on Kojima, uh, so kind of using his tag partner's move against him. But then, yeah, led into the finish, that, that spinning move you were talking about. And then, yeah, he hits the uh, the Eliminator and puts Kojima away. Yeah, and I liked that he was selling the rib injury all throughout. Even on his offensive moves, he, you know, like if he took an impact from delivering a move, he still sold the pain that he suffered in his rib injury, which uh, you don't see a lot of guys doing that. You know, you, you'll see them sell something like, haphazardly but i mean you know i liked that and i liked too that he, he didn't like when he's selling it he didn't just lay on the ground for long for long periods of time you know he he sold the injury kept kept moving i i don't know i like his uh i like uh okan psychology a lot i think yeah i i think he's so underrated with just some of the stuff he does and executes in his matches like dude so good yeah, I mean, if you don't like Ocon, it makes me really question your taste in wrestling, Dave Meltzer. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, next matchup, we had LIJ, Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Shingo. They defeated Makabe, Hanma, Tanahashi, and Nagata. Uh, Shingo hitting last of the dragon on Hanma this time to get the win for LIJ. Then the next matchup, we had the KOPW provisional uh, championship matchup, the dog cage match, and uh, Toriano defeats Minoru Suzuki 13 minutes and 48 seconds and is once again the provisional KOPW champion. And lineal. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it was fine. I mean, I I I don't think I needed 13 minutes and 48 seconds to get to where we were going. Um, You know, I liked the finish as far as just... uh, funny sort of wacky creative Yano shit goes with Suzuki and 
you know, the, the funny part was after Suzuki lost and the, the look on his face, the sell job post-match and everything. And I liked that Yano, uh, you know, used a young lion. I'm always a big fan of when, when guys use the lions as props uh, in their matches to like, I don't know. We've seen him and, and Kanemaru, different people do shit like that. So I like that. But, uh, you know, 13 minutes, 48 seconds, there's a lot of kind of, there's just a lot of stuff in there that didn't need to be there. I don't, I don't need to see Yano KOPW matches go that long, but uh, it was fine. Most people probably hate this. I, I didn't like it that much, but I, you know, it was kind of funny. I'd probably go like two stars. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of started off hot. Like these guys were like, shoot, like, you know, doing some grappling and kind of striking, kind of doing strike exchanges and stuff. And so it started off good. Then they went to the outside and, well, I didn't. I got the rules like you had to lock the cage, but like Suki looked dumb because he literally had Yano in the cage, like unconscious, right. like beating on him. He could have easily had won the match, but then you know Yano was able to to get out and escape, and then they they got back in the ring and started to get back some more you know action focus, and then they pulled the handcuffs out, and then they're both handcuffed, and and you got low blows, and they're doing all this gimmicks, and then. It's kind of like what we predicted last week. It would be kind of like this kind of, you know, Yano tricking Suzuki into the cage. And um, that's what he did at the end. There was a, a dog collar that he was able to uh, attach to the cage and attach Fujita to Suzuki, like you mentioned, um, to uh, get him trapped in the cage. And Yano was able to, to lock him in there. So Yeah. <laughs> so that was <laughs> the, what happened. Yeah, the, the epic uh, dog cage match. And. You know, everybody was hoping with Suzuki being the KOBW original champion that we were going to get death matches and knockout matches and, you know, all kind of crazy, you know, strike-based stuff. But none of that. We're, we're back on the Yano train here. And uh, we did have a question from uh, Reddit user uh, The Dark Soldier. Because I've known, I know I've asked about this before, but seriously, why is Yano still attached to the KOPW trophy what purpose does it serve? All it does is make the fans tired of Yano, who at one point was on was one of the best and most fun acts in NJPW, and devalue something that can provide a refreshing match on the card. Um. Hmm. Well, I, I think that uh, Dark Soldier. I think you've got some strong opinions there, but I don't know that I necessarily agree with all of them as factual statements. Uh, I, I mean, I do agree at one point, Yano was one of the, um, I would say most over acts in the West. We know this is a hundred percent the case because uh, when he wrestled matches in Long Beach and made appearances, the diehard New Japan Western audience like would go crazy for him. And there seemed to be a lot of like fan support online for Yano. But I don't know that KOPW is what's killing Yano's interest. Um, I think it's the fact that for a lot of fans, and I'm not saying you specifically, I don't know your situation, but for a lot of fans, their relative uh, interactions with New Japan are like only a couple years old. So the novelty of Yano just hadn't really worn off. Whereas you talk to a lot of like older New Japan fans who've been watching for a while and have seen him for five, six, seven years doing this shit. Um, I think for them, it doesn't matter whether there is a KOPW or not. The For a lot of people, it's like you either love this sort of thing because it's sideshow, goofy, comedy bullshit, 
or you hate it. You either love it or you hate it. And for the people that, you know, and then maybe there's some people that liked it in the beginning and then became weary of it. And, uh, you know, for those people that do like it, though, I think KOPW actually puts more of a spotlight on Yano. I don't see how it takes away from his shtick. It adds to his shtick. Otherwise, his shtick would just be the same old dog and pony routine. Like, he'd just be doing the same shit he's been doing for years and years. At least he has something fresh to do. Um, ultimately, KOPW is not something to be taken seriously. I know some people wanted it to be when it was first introduced. Uh, you can go back listen to the archives. We were very critical of it, especially me. And I'm glad that it never became anything other than uh, Yano's, you know, side project because I think, you know, a stipulation title with all these weird rules that KOPW have doesn't actually serve any real role to draw fans or have great matches or get people over. I think it's just a uh, this weird kind of opening match comedy shtick that belongs to a guy like Yano. I'm fine with it. Yeah, like this is, you know, this is pretty much his gimmick, and, and I'm fine with that. And, you know, he talks about fans getting tired of Yano. I, I think maybe there is some less patience with the Yano stuff because there's so much other BS going on in New Japan right now. Uh, you have all this house of torture stuff going on, and there's only so much you can handle. Um, you know, Yano was that, you know, that refresher, the, you know, the, the night off in G1 or that kind of comedy relief on shows and to take away from a little bit from the action. But now you have so much other stuff that's taking away from the in-ring action. Like then Yano's just kind of pile on top of that. So that may be it. But, you know, I, I, I think that I'm on the right track with my uh, estimation that, you know, once you've seen his thing, you know, his, his shtick you know, so many times, so often over a period of time, the allure just wears away, you know? Right. It's like Hulk Hogan. How many times can you see him Hulk up and hit the big elbow or, you know, the big boot, the the leg drop? I mean, that's what happened with him. Is like he was super over, but they had to make him an attraction because once you put him on TV weekly and people can have full access to it and see him all the time, same thing with Andre the Giant, like, those kinds of attractions and sideshows, they lose their allure. And, you know, I don't think anyone, you know, wants to see, unless like you're uh, a Yano ghoul, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think most people want to see, you know, his shtick all the time, you know? Right. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. So now we move on to the semi-main event of this show. We had the never-openweight six-man tag team title match. 
the House of Torture, Evil, Show and Yudro with Dick Togo. They retained and defeated the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi, who were accompanied by Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, in a lot of ways, very similar to the style and tone of match we had the night before. Aside from the fact that it was a six or you know a six man as opposed to a traditional tag, obviously. Um, but I mean this this had a lot more bullshit than the match the night before. Uh, they just kept teasing over and over again that Chaos was going to win and House of Torture kept cheating, and then ultimately ended with you know. Uh, basically like a fuck finish where, you know, the heels prevailed by utilizing all their, uh, you know, foreign objects and, and, you know, pull the ref out and all that shit. So this was worse than the night before. I, I don't know. I, I'm so sick of this whole feud and anything involving House of Torture. I don't want to see House of Torture uh, go into a civil war with the Bull Club proper. I just want them to split off and then maybe leave and I don't know, go somewhere else, because I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah, like, the tag title match is one thing, but then the follow-up of this, like, again, like you mentioned, it's all shenanigans, and just, it's not a great feud, it wasn't, it's not, we're not getting a bunch of great matches here, like, none of the matches have been great, or close to great, and again, it's just all stuff we talk about with all the ref interference and all that stuff, um, and, you know, Dick Togo pulled the ref out at one point in this match, and I'm sorry, I feel like if Somebody puts their hands on the referee. That just needs yep. to be a disqualification. Like, why? I agree. Why would the ref get back up and keep going with the match, or another referee coming out there and continue the match, knowing well, clearly that there's somebody outside who pulled the ref out, and it's because the, the chaos had the match won. And, and totally but, cool. but Jeremy, you you're not understanding. Uh, the referee didn't see who did it to him. So who's he going to penalize? Hmm. Yeah. And yeah. even though it's being broadcast live and the referees in the back could have hypothetically watched it, we have to assume they didn't. Otherwise, why would, you know, another referee come out? And, you know, we don't utilize instant replay in professional wrestling, unfortunately. So it's just one of those things. You just got to accept it as it is and move on with your life, you know? Yeah, that it is what it is. Uh, it is what it is. Stuff just happens. <laughs> yeah. So at the end here, referee was down. Evil hits uh, Yoshihashi with a chair. Hits the magic killer for uh, the help of Dick Togo, but Yoshihashi kicks out. Chaos hits the ring. Uh, then Show begins hitting people with the wrench. Uh, referee's not looking. Show hits uh, Yoshihashi with the wrench, and then Yujiro falls up with the big juice and gets the win for the team. Um, remember how, like, how many great promising matches show had before this? Yeah. Like, how excited we were for the prospect of show, like, breaking off and, like, moving to that next phase of his career? Yeah. I'm sure that's all still there, but I, I'll tell you this. I would sacrifice show if it meant that the whole house of torture was gone. Like if if uh, you know if they like went to all Japan like let's say or Big Japan or something and I didn't have to watch them on my screen, but it meant that we're sacrificing all the promise of show by sending him away. I'd do it. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I don't care how many great matches he had with Shingo or Dragon Lee or Kushida or what have you. That's all ancient history. I would 
I would get rid of him in a heartbeat. And dude. I know that that might be marky of me to say. I might be getting worked, but like God, like, dude, I don't want to get I don't want to get worked into this kind of heat where I don't want to watch them. It sucks. They it sucks so dude, bad. I, I'm right there for you. Um, I, I would send show away. I mean, we we got the you know lineup. The the bench is loaded. We have the LA Dojo boys. We have uh, the No Gay Dojo guys on excursion. We have you know foreigners waiting to come in. Like there's there's plenty of people. That can, that's going to reload the roster. I don't think we would, you know, miss Show too much. The thing with Show, if he went away, it would be like remember when WWE used to have all those like two thousands like rock songs and stuff. It'd be like, leave the memories alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how I feel about Show. Like, you know, we'll leave those memories alone. They'll always be there on World, but uh, I don't yeah. have to watch you actively wrestle right now. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple questions here from Raising Falcons. He says, the Yo and Chill feud has been very underwhelming, but it's not Yo's fault. It's been said that Yo single run as a far has been a flop, but the only metric to judge Yo as a singles has been his feud with Show. The way I see it is that Yo has been lacking due to Show being such uh, underwhelming and unimpressive act and rival. Show's gimmick is being evil 2.0. Show right now is unbearable to watch with his stupid wrench. I would love to see Yo move on to other programs to see how he really does. I feel Show is the one holding Yo back right now with their underwhelming matches. Show has proven he can wrestle at a very high rate, but that show is long gone, and the one present nowadays is below Yo. I feel once Yo moves on from Show, he will start to get more interesting as a character. Show feels like evil in the sense that everything evil touches turns to shit. Must be the same for a show now. Do you think this argument has teeth, or is Yo still a hoe? Um, I'm going to say Yo is still a hoe. Jeremy, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say Yo is still a hoe. Um, I mean, we, we've seen Yo in other single uh, stuff in, like, Super Juniors, and he's had yep. good matches, but he's done nothing to really – blow away like where's that standout you know blow away junior match of the year candidate from Mingo it's never been there and I get you you want to blame show for this and yeah there there is some claim to that but at the same time like you get matched up with a guy you got to be good enough to to elevate that guy and elevate the feud and bring some interest like I don't feel like yo did anything in these feuds or matches to really elevate himself or bring interest to the feud. Yeah, man. Um, like you said, it, it's not just super junior singles matches that we've gotten out of yo. Never mind. Let's not forget that he was having mediocre ass matches against all kinds of opponents. And then was just rolling people up the whole time. Like, you know, he's still just the wacky roll up guy, you know? Right. <laughs> but, um, and then even before the super juniors this year, he had other singles matches. Remember, he came back and challenged for the title against Desperado, and it was kind of mid. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that shit happened too. It's not just show. And, you know, show does have blame, like you said. But, you know, the one standout match is with Hiromu. And, I mean, like, I don't want to diminish what they accomplished there, but it, for me, that was not anywhere near, like, the top of uh, Hiromu's Super Junior matches. Like, that might be the best match of Yo's entire career as a singles. And I don't even think that makes, like, a top 25 or top 30 list for Hiromu Takahashi. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, and, I, 
and I felt like the match was really overrated by a lot of people. And I, I, it was a great match, but uh, other than that, I mean, Sho and Yo, I talked about it last week. These guys have teamed for so long, showed so much promise, had so much uh, invested into them time wise and, and, and everything from the company. And then for all the build and anticipation and, and speculation about what the split would be like in the future for these guys. And then for them to go out there and, and, you know, miss four times plus all the, you know, I haven't seen any interactions between them during the uh, multi-man matches. That makes me be like, you know what? I really need to see show and you'll wrestle a fifth time to settle this thing once and for all. No, I can't even think of anything cool. Yo actually does. You most of the moves that he does are moves Seth Rollins does, and I don't want to watch him either. <laughs> yeah, I think the coolest thing Yo does is his uh, direct drive, that like drill bit-like maneuver that he does. Um, I am glad he has two new finishers. He's got a submission and an impact finisher. He needed those. That's great. I But, you know, if, if you want me to say Yo's not a hoe, he needs to have better matches. He needs to cut better promos. He needs to be more entertaining, get better gear, just be better at wrestling all around in every aspect of wrestling in all the ways that he's mid right now. He just needs to uh, get past that and be great. And right now he's not great. Right now he's mid. Yo's a hoe. <laughs> he also asked, do you think Yo feels more like the leader of chaos than Okada? Yo seems to... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> says yo seems to be having the backs of every chaos member for the past few months like the bro he is okada doesn't even tag of chaos nowadays he'd rather lose in tag matches with tanahashi than lose in tag matches with chaos i mean okay let's say that that's 100 percent valid you know okada's off focusing on the world title who's the other leader to me it would be ishii yeah ishii would be, would be, would be the second yeah, I mean, he was the guy that was out here supporting these guys in their, you know, um, never open weight bid. I mean, he's the the highest ranking guy. I don't know. I feel like he's, <laughs> yo, that's crazy. <laughs> Okada smart. He's like, Gato, keep me away from this house of torture crap. Like, yeah. I don't care if I'm the leader of chaos. I'm teaming with Hontai. I'm teaming with Tanahashi and Kojima and Nagata and Tenzon. Like, keep me as far as possible from House of Torture. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the main event here. Yep. So, big main event here. The IWGP World Heavyweight title match. Kazuchika Okada retains and successfully defends and defeats Tetsuya Naito 29 minutes and 24 seconds. Really great match. Um, you know, I, I gotta say, I think that I'm much higher than most people on the, the match the night before. Um, I don't know if I feel like it was. I think I've got both these matches about the same personally. So what did and you what did you rate uh, the US match? I think I'm four and a half on both of these matches. Mm. Um, but I you know Okada Naito is really fantastic, especially the the ending of the match. Um, I, I might be inclined to say Okada Naito was the better match, but uh, I don't think it was that far away. Like, if I went three and three quarters on this one, I think I'd have to raise the other one to three and three quarters too. You know, I don't know. I thought that they're both really fantastic uh, 
main events, but it feels like most people are a lot higher on this match, maybe because of uh, it being Okada Naito and the way that the final five minutes played out. The match overall is fantastic, but that final stanza and the story they were telling with Naito and him busting out all of his old maneuvers from, you know, the whole portion of his like junior career and then his Stardust Genius days and how all of that relates to his uh, relationship for 15 years with Okada. And they went into this match um, on equal footing as far as like uh, match records go. I think they said that they're both like five and five or something like that. And, um, you know, this one would kind of give one of them the edge in uh, the rivalry at that point. And, you know, Okada's first uh, opponent in New Japan ever was Naito, and he lost to him 15 years ago. And everything like that. Plus, you know, we reviewed the uh, the 40th anniversary show where they first wrestled over the IWGB heavyweight title. And this was almost literally to the day, you know, an anniversary of, of that match. And so there's just like a lot of history that was at play here. I thought Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly did an awesome job on the call. All the sequences, all the reverse. Okada had a lot of really great reversals of the Destino and some of the different offense that Naito has. Um, I, I just think mechanically the match was fantastic. I've got two complaints. Uh, one, I thought Okada's reliance on the uh, money clip slowed the match down in certain ways that I'm not a big fan of. I get why he does it, but I'm, I'm just never going to be a fan of that move uh, for what, you know, and I, I've stated why so many times in the past. The other thing too, Naito spent so much time in the lead up to this match, really heavily focusing on the knees of Okada. I felt like that became a complete non-issue in the match. Like, I don't recall him really focusing very much on the knees of Naito at all. Um, it seemed to be more like a neck attack that kind of was at play here. That's sort of a nitpicky thing, but overall, Naito and Okada, they, they, they told an epic story. They wrestled an incredible match. You know, uh, Naito threw everything that he had at Okada, the whole kitchen sink, you know, hit him with the Destino, hit him with the fucking Stardust Press, which, you know, that goes back to the January 4th match where Naito finally beat Okada in the Dome and, and everything like that. So just so much history at play here. Um, I think if you're a fan, especially of these two guys and their rivalry, this is another fitting addition of it. And, um, you know, say what you will about New Japan and its current state. This is the kind of match where when you go and you watch it, it reminds you why we love New Japan. And I felt like this was really like a key reminder of, uh, you know, what, what could still be in the future for the company, but what's been in the past. And uh, I was very impressed. I thought the match was incredible. Yeah, I absolutely loved this match. I thought it was incredible. Uh, big match feel. And just so many great reversals. And I, I wrote down a, a lot of some of the bigger spots uh, from this match. Uh, there was so many cool stuff. So like you mentioned, uh, Naito kind of abandoned the, the attack of Okada's legs and focused on the neck. So it was the net breaker uh, on the floor. Uh, one of the first big reversals, Okada reversed the combination de Cabron into a neck breaker. His, uh, you know, his uh, over-the-knee neck breaker thing does. That was a cool reversal. Um, then Okada does his attack on Naito's neck. He hits a DT on the apron and then a DT on the floor. 
brings him back in another DDT in the ring. Um, Naito comes back with the satellite DDT. It's the Hangman's Neckbreaker. Um, there was a big boot spot here where Okada just uh, Naito was running in Okada. Okada get a big boot, and Naito took this crazy bump off the big boot, uh, killed him with that. Uh, at one point, Naito reverses the Rainmaker into the Pumo Blanco, which is one of uh, Naito's old uh, junior moves. It's Super Rana. He does that. The Esperanza. Um, Okada reverses the Destino into the Omega Clutch. That was a great reversal there and a great near fall. Um, Naito reverses the Heavy Rain into Destino. Um, there was a Destino reversal into a Lariat. Um, Okada hits the Spinning Tombstone. Naito reverses a Rainmaker into the Lightning Spiral. Um, we get a running Destino near fall. Naito then, like you mentioned, hits the Stardust Press. Great near fall there. The crowd. Uh, audibly gasped for that one. Uh, there's a great spot here where Okada, he reverses the Destino, and he's going for the landslide, but then Naito reverses the landslide, and he's going for the, the snowplow, but then Okada reverses that into a Destino. That was like a crazy counter right there. Um, Naito reverses the Rainmaker into a German, uh, hits that rolling front kick, um, then Okada comes back, hits a drop kick, Naito no-sells a drop kick, fires up, um, then the final here, Okada reverses the Destino into the landslide tombstone and hits the Rainmaker and gets the win. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Uh, so many incredible spots and maneuvers and, and the whole story that was at play as well. Um, the one thing that was really crazy to me was when he went for the landslide and then he didn't catch it and Naito countered out of it, but then immediately right after He's right back into it. And then as soon as he landed, I was like, oh, fuck, Okada won. And, uh, you know, in short order, once, you know, hits him with the uh, Rainmaker. And, I mean, that was a really devastating – I mean, the bump that uh, Naito took on that was pretty impressive. And then, uh, you know, one, two, three, post-match, the moment where uh, Okada decides to pay respect to Naito and Naito's, you know, body is, you know, falling on the ground. And then – um Okada, you know, gives him the fist bump, and that kind of just shows like where they're at in the trajectory of their rivalry. Where there are times where these two guys really hated one another and had blood feuds, and and you know were competing on the highest level with one another professionally. Now it's kind of more of a a, a rivalry born out of respect, you know. Yeah, it's definitely gotten to that that different level there. Um, so, yeah, great, great matchup, uh, great next step in this rivalry here. Um, Okada post-match promo, he mentions Desperado, he mentions the anniversary show, mentions the New Japan Cup, which uh, will all roll into uh, the announcements that come up. We have two questions here. Um, no Alarms 1995 asks, will Tetsuya Naito ever have a world heavyweight title run again? Um. Maybe. I mean, that's the only thing we can say at this point. I, I, I can't say for sure that he will, because I don't even know long term how they're they're going to wind up booking this newer world title as opposed to the, the previous booking of like the IWGP heavyweight title. But, um, you know, Naito, he's really uh, he was really impressive in this match. I, this might be one of the best showing, at, you know, and he looked really good against Cobb at Wrestle Kingdom. As well, but I feel like this is one of the better main events that we've seen out of him, at least since the last time he held the title. So maybe, you know, maybe he's like resurging and 
you know, if he's healthy, I don't know. Maybe he could hold the title again. It's hard to say. Right. I mean, with Naito as a guy, I would say never say never. Um, you never know what's going to happen with injuries or sickness or what could happen. We've seen the world title picture kind of be plagued over the last year or so of all those things. So at any point, like, you know, knock on wood, Okada goes down. Um, I think Naito is a guy that they could rely on to, to be the champion. Or, I mean, there is there are title matches too. I mean, there's a Naito Osprey title match that's waiting to happen at some point. There's there's some other programs for Naito to do if he were to be champion again. So that concludes our... Uh, we have one more question. Oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, MJ does PR. Wow. Sorry, MJ. I almost, almost skipped your question there. MJ does PR. What does the rest of Naito's 2022 look like? I think that he will be trading wins back and forth throughout the year and chasing this same title against Okada. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be make a ton of sense, him just kind of continuing to be a world title chaser. There is also, you know, him beating Tanahashi when he was U.S. champ. You could do something interesting, do a, a faction mate versus faction mate and do Naito challenging Sonata for the U.S. title. If there was a faction where they would do something like that, uh, LIJ is definitely one of them. Uh, I feel like, obviously, Suzuki Goon is probably the other one that might also be inclined to do that. But, uh, yeah, I could maybe see that, possibly. Yeah. But there's a lot of guys who want that U.S. title that were like, do one, like Chase Owens and John Moxley and uh, Lance Archer. Like, none of those fools are getting title shots now. Right. <laughs> Um, so now with that question answered, that wraps up our analysis on the Golden Series Tour. So the Golden Series is in the rare view. We now set our sights for next week. We have the 50th anniversary show and the kickoff of the New Japan Cup. So first, let's talk about the 50th anniversary show lineup that will be next Tuesday uh, March 1st with 3 a.m. Eastern start time on NJPW World. So the main event of the show will be Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Tatsumi Fujinami versus Minoru Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr., and Yoshihaki Fujiwara. Then we will have the IWGB Heavyweight Tag Champs against the Junior Tag Champs, so Bishimon will take on Team 6 or 9. Then we'll have Togi Makabe, Hanma, and Ishii, Yano, and Koshinaka taking on Naito, Sonata, Shingo, Hiromu, and Bushi. Kota Ibushi will make his return as he teams up with Tenzan, Kojima, and Nagata, and they take on a full-force United Empire, Will Ospreay, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Aaron Hanare. We have the return of the Stronghearts, Shima, T-Hawk, and L. Lindemann. They'll be taking on Desperado, Kanamaru, and Doki. Then Taichi, Takamichi Noku, and the return of Minoru Tanaka will take on uh, Bad Luck Fale and Bullet Club's cutest tag team. And then the show will open with Tiger Mask, Yo, and Oiwa versus Evil, Yudro, and Sho. Yeah, so I mean... Um kind of an interesting show i mean it's not unlike a lot of anniversary shows where you know obviously we're kind of transitioning into the new japan cup so it's not always like a uh, a mega important show but it's also not one where you're completely focusing on uh 
preview matches either. So it kind of uh, existed, existed its own realm. And, you know, we've got a lot of kind of cool surprises. Well, not well, it was a surprise when they announced them at the uh, press conference, you know, um, you know, the notable names from the outside that are not currently with the company, obviously the strong hearts, uh, that's one that's interesting. The returns of Shoko Shinaka as well as uh, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami. Um, that one's interesting. Plus, you know, a returning Kota Ibushi. So, you know, there's kind of a, a, a plus Minoru Tanaka. So, I mean, you know, in recent memory, I can't remember an anniversary show. Um, maybe they had better main events and some better feuds going into it, you know, title matches. But I can't remember one that had th- this many, like, uh, kind of interesting like classic throwbacks and surprises and sort of like change-ups you know what i mean yeah i was very intrigued with this card and some of the names they uh pulled out here you know very good to see strong hearts uh back in the mix and you know we have been hearing despy you know say he wants a challenge he wants to defend against guys like strong hearts and he's here in a match against them so that could potentially set some stuff up some in the future for some junior title matches uh, bringing back guys like uh, Heat, Minoru Tanaka was an interesting call there. We have um, the United Empire's all back. Kota Ibushi is back. And, you know, there's been um, some chatter around Ibushi. You know, he's been on Twitter and Instagram kind of playing up, saying that he's not 100% and it's kind of a surprise. He didn't expect to be announced for the anniversary show or to be in the New Japan Cup. So, a lot of fans have jumped onto that and said, you know, New Japan is a a bad company for um, allowing Abushi to come back when he's not 100% cleared. Uh, you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of uh, of wrestlers potentially, uh, you know, working storylines over social media. So, I mean, if if that is in fact what Kota Abushi is doing here, he is a pioneer worker. Okay. Because I've never heard of anyone else ever doing that. So, uh, <laughs> ever. Yes, a, a a worker would never use uh, social media to work fans. Uh, why why would he do that? Yeah, I mean that would just be. I mean, if he said it online, you got to believe that it's absolutely true. Never mind the fact that you know the narrative that's being spun by a lot of fans is like he isn't cleared. And he had no idea. And he's only kind of like sort of alluded to it. It's not like he like cut a tell-all promo and like, you know, said, well, I went to Gato and told him blah, blah, blah. And then Gato's like, well, you're working anyways. Like, Right. It's not you like know. he, uh, you know, called up Tokyo Sports or some news outlet and was like, yeah, you know, I, I was just chilling. And all of a sudden I, I got I got announced for the show. I didn't even know. I'm, I'm hurt. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so whatever. Um, oh, wait, Fujiwara is wrestling on this show, too? Yeah, so, yeah, Fujiwara, he's teaming up with... Oh, my God, how did I not see that? <laughs> <laughs> he's teaming up with uh, Suzuki and uh, ZSJ in the main event. <laughs> bro, do you remember the last time Fujiwara showed up in the uh, the Rambo? Yeah, bro. <laughs> bro, he's so old. Oh, I mean, Fujinami's old, but Fujiwara's really old. <laughs> Yeah, bro. <laughs> they 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 pull some dudes out for this one. Oh my god! But um, yeah, I think uh the inclusion of Minoru Tanaka is very interesting because I mean, um, it's been a, a long time since he's worked in New Japan, and I I think he spends a lot of his time, you know, working for different um, 
you know, independent companies. I think you spent some time in all Japan and stuff like that in the recent past. So I'd be interested. I mean, I'm a big fan of Minoru Tanaka from his New Japan days, and I know you are too. So I'd be interested to see uh, what that could mean. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure 100% why they've got him teaming with uh, Taichi and Taka. They might have some sort of connection that maybe I'm not aware of, uh, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure either, but yeah, good to see him back, and that should be an interesting uh, six-man tag there. But overall, it seems like it'll be a, a very kind of fun show. A lot of returns, uh, a lot of guys back, uh, a lot of guys back, so it should be fun. Yeah, I mean, the, like you mentioned, the Desperado Strong Hearts thing stands out as being very uniquely interesting just to, because they're outsiders and they kind of teased him potentially having a feud with one or all the members and then um obviously the thing with with abushi coming back and teaming with uh hontai to take on the united empire and you know we're gonna get to it but he's got his first round match against great okan and so it's sort of like a preview of that match and i'm wondering if there's gonna be like an angle alert or if this could uh have deeper round implications for the rest of the tournament provided abushi got past okan you know i don't know so that's something to kind of keep your eyes out on. Um, oh, one thing, Shiro Koshinaka, he's also old as fuck too. Like uh, recently I was talking to Rich and uh, I was like, you know, like the only thing I could think of comparatively speaking for like fans that are uninitiated, you know, Koshinaka was like one of the top juniors in like 1988 that he won the first top of the super juniors for this company. And I was like, what if like WWF brought out one of their like, you know, if you had to think about it, like what juniors did they have working for them on a major scale in '88? Probably like Coco Beware. It'd yeah. be like if they brought Coco back and had him team with like the New Day. You know, obviously for obvious reasons, because you know it's <laughs> WWE and they're racist. But uh, you know, it'd be like them ha- like like having Frankie the Bird and you know uh, Coco Beware coming out in 2022 to work. I don't know. Cesaro and somebody else or whatever the fuck like you know so I mean Koshinaka's old bro <laughs> yeah so um, also the, the olds are kind of stuffed in tag matches so I'm sure they'll come in do one big spot and then kind of be out of there yeah um, you know normally on these shows we usually get the junior champion against the heavyweight champion we're not getting that this year but they kind of made up for it by doing the junior cha- tag champions against the heavyweight tags so that's cool but that main event is kind of interesting because on the one side, you've got Okada, Tanahashi, and Fujinami. So three of the most important and influential ace figures in the entire history of New Japan. And then in Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr. and Fujiwara, you have three of the most legit grapplers and tough guys um, in the history of the company. Like guys that all have like legit serious shoot credentials and shoot experience. And are, you know, age-wise, you know, contemporaries of of their counterparts on the other side. So, I mean, I think that this match will actually, you know, provided they work it in a smart way around the older guys, I think this could be really fun and kind of historic. I mean, you look at the names that are involved, I mean, it's kind of a dream match in a certain way. Yeah, definitely a kind of a monumental match there. And also, it's the 50th anniversary. We've, We've been promised big surprises and... Interesting stuff. So definitely kind of a big thing here that kind of throws to the the history of New Japan 
all the aces and all these tough guys. So very uh, cool main event for this show. So that is going to be uh, occurring on March 1st. That's Tuesday. Um, you know, next next week on March 1st, we will be previewing the New Japan Cup, which was announced this past week with the, uh, you know, competitors as well as the first round, um, you know, those who are getting buys and those that are going to have matches. Uh, we're going to do a quick rundown of the announcements here, but we will be doing our preview episode next week on the first with Chris, Chris Amsa on the line as well. Um, kind of just giving you the in-depth view on all of that. So, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of, a lot of excitement. People want to hear our full in-depth takes. You kind of have to wait till next week. Uh, Jeremy, are we doing a review of the anniversary show next week? Or are we going to hold off until the week prior or the week after? Uh, I think it just depends if we can get watched in time for uh Tuesday's recording. Um, if not, we'll just focus on uh, previewing New Japan Cup, and then we can cover it on the following week's show. I'm not going to be able to, but if you want to do it for us and then just do it real quick, that would be fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll I'll see. I'll, I'll try <laughs> try to get it in before we record. But, but uh, uh, like like we mentioned, we got the New Japan Cup uh, announcements that came out this week. Yep, so a part of the press conference, we got the, the brackets, a 48-man tournament. So there will be 16 first-round matches, 16 competitors receiving bye. So the field this year, we have Kazuchika Okada, El Esperado, Master Wato, Toriano, Taichi, Hiroshi Tenzan, Yuji Nagata, Hiroki Goto, Dick Togo, Shima, Takamichi Noku, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Yo, Bad Luck Fale, Tetsuya Naito, Yujiro Takahashi, Gato, Togi Makabe, Jeff Cobb, Satoshi Kojima, Tomiyaki Hanma, Yoshihashi, Kosei Vegeta, Kota Ibushi, Great Okan, Taiji Shimori, Reihoi Oiwa, Zack Sabre Jr., Doki, Yuto Nakashima, Aaron Hanare, Sonata, Bushi, Will Ospreay, El Phantasmo, Tomohiro Ishii, Shingo Takagi, Tangaloa, Chase Owens, Jado, Tiger Mask, Rusuke Taguchi, Evil, Tamatanga, Hiromu Takahashi, Sho, and Minoru Suzuki. And then out of those guys, Suzuki, Tamatanga, Tiger Mask, Tangaloa, ELP, Sonata, Doki, Taiji Shimori, Fujita, Kojima, Gato, Balak Fale, Kanamaru, Dick Togo, Tenzan, and Master Wato are the guys receiving the first round buys. So my first point of contention is that whole first round buy thing. Um, they haven't, they didn't give any kind of explanation for who qualified for that why it was being given to them you know one has to hope that the kayfabe reason was that there was a random drawing and these are the guys that <laughs> that came up lucky because i mean you look at the names that are there and you're talking about young lions and uh, dads and and you know um guys that have no shot of winning this tournament going into the second round automatically through a buy and it's like who did Kanemaru or Dick Togo beat this year to qual or, or, you know, in the past six months to qualify them to, you know, get a, a first round buy over say Tanahashi or Zack Sabre Jr. It, it doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, we, we have literally all the champs are in here. Why isn't Okada? I mean, Tanada has a buy, but why isn't Okada? Why isn't Desperado getting a buy? Was it, why aren't the, the tag champs getting a buy? Why is or it like Shingo Takagi or Will Osprey? Right, guys. You know the, the bigger guys like 
clearly, uh, you know, Gator knows nothing about seeding a, a tournament bracket <laughs> uh, because this is all, all seeded incorrectly. Like, right? Why a young lot? Well, seriously, why is Fujita getting a, a buy here? Like, there's this whole bracket is all uh, screwy and wonky here with this uh, 48 man format. Yeah, the other thing too, you know, um, they did a 48, they did the announcement during the show on the second night for the Golden Series that, you know, they're doing a 48-man tournament, biggest ever in the history of New Japan Cup. And it's like, holy shit, what does that mean? You know? And so they let it kind of linger for a day or so that like the idea that like, damn, they're doing 48 guys. Maybe this could mean surprises. Maybe this could mean uh, outside, you know, guys are coming in. You know, I even saw people like kind of theorizing, like, could it be Noah? Could there be like a, a U.S. branch of the bracket, you know, with uh, AEW? Because they're supposed to be having some major announcement on Wednesday. Could that be part of it? And then, you know, they do the press conference and it's like, oh, it's just all the guys that you have currently that are allowed to work in the country plus Shima. Uh <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I mean, like, it is cool, but, like, they got the dads, they got the juniors, and they got the lions mixed in with all the other guys. I mean, you know, everyone's getting a payday, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of disappointing, you know, this 48-man bracket, and the only outsider is Shima, especially when you look at the anniversary show, and you ha- you also have T-Hawk and Lindemann there, you, you have Minoru Tanaka um, and then also we, we just had the Noah show and I felt like there's so many other possibilities to get some fresh faces in this tournament. And I'm sure like from a Noah standpoint, I'm sure those guys probably wouldn't want their, their guys being jobbed out here, uh, in this tournament. But, um, uh, I feel like there's other, like these strong heart guys, like, uh, the, some great guys. I feel like there's some other, maybe lower promotions, who would just love to have opportunity to be in this tournament that you could have just thrown in here instead of just having to use literally every single person that's already on the roster. Now I will talk about the positive of it. You know, uh, golden series wasn't the greatest tour in the world, honestly. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> you know, it was, it's pretty rough. It was rough. And, um, they still need to, you know, we're still in a pandemic and they need to run as many shows as they possibly can that are noteworthy and worthwhile that can actually draw so that they can, because it's still a live touring promotion. That's how they make most of their money. So I think that they saw doing a 48 man tournament as an opportunity instead of having a whole slew of preview matches that are just rehashes night after night after night that just kind of get, you know, sluggish and boring. Instead, we're going to get you know, full cards most likely, or at least I, who knows, we don't, I don't know what the cards look like yet, but let's just, uh, let's be conservative here. We'll probably get three to four singles matches of note per night during the tour as they go along. And the inclusion of all those 48 guys allows them to do as many of those shows as possible for a longer period. So, I mean, there is a business incentive to them doing it this way, which does make sense to me from that perspective, you know? Yeah. The first opening night is all singles matches. Yeah. And I mean, you know, say what you will about uh, a lot of the matches being, you know, easy to predict and they definitely are, you know, singles matches are a rarity in new Japan. And, uh, you know, so at at least there's that aspect of it to where we're getting fresh matchups. And I'm not, Trust me, this is not cap. 
I'm not telling you that I think it's great that, you know, we have a bunch of easy to predict matches with dads and lions and no hoper juniors. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the one positive of it is that we are getting fresh singles matches and maybe they could be fun and exciting. But at the end of the day, I think the negative is still there in the fact that like we know who's winning most of these early rounds. Right, but I'm I'm there with you. Like I much rather have these singles matches than you know twenty preview tags of the same six man, eight man, ten man tag over and over again. We're getting a a lot more singles matches. We're getting some probably never before seen singles matches. I'm sure uh, Chris Samsa next week will have all the stats on first time matchups and rematches and tie records between guys. So uh, it's definitely intriguing. There are some intriguing first round matchups. We do have a lot of guys back. Like we mentioned, we, we got God who they're fresh off of their uh, impact storyline are, are back. We have Aaron Hanare back. Osprey is back in Japan. Um, so uh, Abushi's back. So there's a lot of people um, who've been kind of been gone who are back in the tournament and will make things interesting, especially when we get into the later rounds. Yeah, I agree. But we got a lot of questions here. Um, let's uh, let's talk about the, the questions that we can answer this week, and then I don't know if we need to push any of them until next week if we feel like it's, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to you. All right, so I'll start here with uh, MJSPR. What is the point of putting the entire Japanese roster in the New Japan Cup? I, I think it's business. uh it's a, it's a smart business move. Like we just kind of uh, summarized earlier. I, I won't, you know, rehash it, but everything we said earlier uh, about the freshness of the tour, uh, that's the benefit. I think if you uh, compare this, this layout of the 48 guys to previous tournaments, you won't be impressed. But if you compare it to the Golden Series Tour that we just experienced and, and put the past of the New Japan Cup aside and just look at it from a, you know, from a, a, a viewer's uh, perspective versus what we just watched, this is going to be way better than the Golden Series. So there's that aspect of it. And I think that's why. Yeah. And I, I think in a non-COVID world, world that this tournament would be filled with maybe uh, John Moxley or Brian Danielson or some of these other bigger guys and guys, uh, maybe even Archer, some guys like that uh, filling up some spots. I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think the New Japan Cup's ever been a tournament where they did that sort of thing. That's more like a G1. You know, they usually try to keep, uh, in a non-COVID world, there wouldn't be 48 guys in this tournament. The company would be on much better financial ground, so they could just do their regular 16 guys. Uh, I don't know, because it's, it's a 50th year. I feel like they're, they would have done this regardless, COVID versus not. Touche. Trying to make Touché. it the, the biggest tournament for the 50th year. Almost 50 guys uh, in the tournament. So, yeah, maybe Mox and Brian are two bigger names, but I feel like maybe some more, maybe like AW mid-carders, maybe some impact guys, some guys from Strong uh, would have been sure. filling more of these spots versus, you know, Kosei Fujita. <laughs> I could see former NWA World Heavyweight Champion Colt Cabannon here. Sure. I don't see why not. Yeah, uh, Chaos Mole, uh, Chucky e. T. Yeah, uh, Adam Pierce. I don't see why not. <laughs> former Bullet Club member Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, Scott Demore. You yeah. know, 
Ray Bucanero. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, next question from Les Commission 7252. Do you guys believe that the easiest way of predicting a winner for New Japan Cup is by determining the opponents that the winner has faced? So far from looking at the bracket, Ibushi and Okan have the toughest obstacle of opponents in the next few rounds. I don't want to tell you how I predict my uh, New Japan Cups because uh, I'm going to win this year. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I think, honestly, the easiest way to predict is, uh, you know, I think you try to look at the storylines. You try to look at the trajectories and the paths and how you think that uh, put your yourself in the mindset of ghetto and try and think about how he likes, what are the patterns, what are the things he likes to do, what are the things he'd like to do as a changeup to throw people off the scent. And ultimately, long term, the whole tournament is really truly about the IWGP title and how does that relate to the, to the champion and everything like that. And business wise, what, you know, what's coming up next in April for the winner of this tournament and the runner up, you know, probably in May. So, you know, a lot of things to kind of consider there. I think both you and I, Jeremy, I, I don't think we ever are a hundred percent on the new Japan cup, but I think we both do pretty well most years on this. Yeah, and next week we'll kind of break down probably some different different scenarios and who we think is going through. But I will say that that Ibushi Okan match is going to be a very important first round matchup. Oh, absolutely! You look at all the other first round matches. There's some some really good ones like Ishii and Shingo for sure, but there's very few that seem to have the long term tournament uh, importance as. Abushi versus uh, Great Okan does, uh, and also that branch of the bracket is really tough for whoever wins either way. You know, it, it seems like uh, Abushi ends up in a really tough jam every year in the in the uh, New Japan Cup. Like he always has a really monumentally important first round match. It seems like most years. Yeah. Uh, so Les Commission also asks, it's great to see Ibushi back in action in New Japan Cup since I'm an Ibushi, I'm an Ibushi Golden Lover. But my question is, if he doesn't win the New Japan Cup, could that still set up for a title shot against Okada at Dominion instead? Plus, I find it crazy how Okada said that Ibushi has to earn a title shot, but promised to give him a shot once he comes back. Yeah, it's crazy when wrestlers say one thing and then do something else. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in, in New Japan, like, things have been very, you know, up in the air with the pandemic. So I think sometimes they plan one thing and then they have to audible. You know, who knows? Maybe they did plan for when, when Ibushi came back, he could get a tile shot. Now, now they're booking calls for something different because they haven't been able to do the long-term stories like they like to do because of how, uh, you know, how up in the air everything is. Yeah, obviously I, there was rumors that, you know, they were hoping Ibushi would be back sooner than later, and obviously now he's just now coming back, so who knows, maybe there was something set up, maybe Golden Series, maybe that could have been Okada versus Ibushi instead, if Ibushi was healthy, who knows. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with Ibushi. I mean, yes, obviously they, they could at some point set up a Dominion title match, because that, that's in June, and so there is time for him if he loses in New Japan Cup to recover, uh, between you know April May and uh, to get to that June title match. 
Uh, so next question here from No Alarm 1995, Dark Horses for the New Japan Cup. Should we save that one for, for next week? You know, we can ask it again next week, but I'll, I'll just throw you out two, without going in depth, I'll just throw out two names that I think are both Dark Horse options to win the thing. Um, Shima mm. and Kazushika Okada. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that would be uh, pretty big if the IWGB champion wins the whole thing. Yeah. Because at that point, you would think he would pick his challenger and maybe he, he calls out an outsider since he, he essentially would have beat the whole roster. Do you have any, like, just off the top of your head, quick dark horse picks? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say the great Ocon. It might not be a dark horse to us, but like we mentioned, there are so many people who are down on him and, and thinks he sucks and probably wouldn't see him having the potential to win this tournament. But obviously with the role that he's been on this year and the, the wins he's been racking up, especially in singles action, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that kind of surprises everybody else and, and wins this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking, and I've been thinking, but uh, the inclusion of Okada in the tournament has changed some of my thinking on that, plus that first-round match with Ibushi is really tough. I mean, it is hard for me to just say outright he's going to beat Ibushi, but uh, I'll I'll think on it and give you guys a more definitive uh, answer next week. But I will tell you this, uh, whoever wins that match, they're going to be in play at least to the semifinals. I think that the winner of that match has a really good shot at being the winner of the New Japan Cup this year, either way. Yeah. Uh, next question from Just a Little Bear. So you're a one with the New Japan Cup's brackets released. Who do you think is a dark horse pick to go deepest? <laughs> I'm looking at maybe Chase or Yoshihashi myself. Also, how the heck do you explain a young lion in Fujita getting a bye? Uh, I can't explain the Fujita thing. Maybe... Uh, maybe he succeeded in some sort of trial test behind closed doors that we don't know about and, you know, was rewarded with a buy in the first round because of it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he made some really good chonko in the, the dojo one day. <laughs> and Gato's like, damn, kid, some good chonko. You're getting a first round buy. <laughs> um you know, and th- that dark horse question is a little different because they're not talking about uh, a dark horse to win the tournament. They're talking about someone that can't win the tournament, but maybe goes the deepest as a, uh, you know, and there, there usually does tend to be that kind of character in the New Japan Cup, someone that uh, gets elevated by going deeper than you would expect them to. I think last year, David Finley probably fits that that description, having a really good tournament, but I'm not sure who I feel like that might be this year. Um, It might be weird for me to say this name, but just because it's a tournament full of, uh, you know, heavyweights, uh, Hiromu. That's a good pick. He's got some tough matches, though, if he's going to do that. I know he, he's done it in the past, and, I mean, he's beaten some great guys, so I'm not putting it past him, and I, that's a great call. I think I'd agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, Another name, uh, Tamatanga, I think is a guy that could, especially with this whole you know Bullet Club storyline. He's, I mean, he he might be a guy that can go far. Yeah, that's another really good pick. Um, so I haven't really studied the the bracket extensively, so it's hard for me to say that say anything uh, you know, definitive here. But I think those are good picks. 
Uh, next question here from uh, Raising Falcons. We kind of answered this. We said, what, would you say the reason for the bloated New Japan Cup is to justify a longer tour, thus more revenue in exchange for more underwhelming matchups? The only thing I'll say, like you said, we've answered. The only thing I will say is, like, yes, they're a little bit more underwhelming than what you'd expect out of a New Japan Cup. But it's better than getting House Torture versus Chaos during the Golden Series. So, you know, there is an upside. Definitely, yeah. Amen to that, man. Uh, next question here from uh, st- underscore stress underscore on a scale of one to R. Kelly, y'all killing me with this shit. How disappointed are you with the 48 New Japan Cup picks? I'm not really disappointed, to be honest with you. Uh, I understand why others, the only thing that was disappointing about it, the only thing um, is the idea. And they didn't promise it to us. So I'm not like claiming false advertisement. But when you when you do 48 guys, there's just the fans are just going to have a natural inclination to think it's the 50th year. You talked about all these dream matches. You talked about cross promotion, working with other companies. I just thought there'd be more outside, uh, you know, um, more outside guys involved in this. And. I'm not alone in that. And I feel like that's the disappointment as far as the actual booking of it. I'm fine with the, what it actually is. You know, I just wish I hadn't thought to myself, maybe they were going to do something cool, you know? Right. And the same thing for me. I know I worked myself into a shoot, um, thinking that we might, we might see more outside names and the whole rumor of AEW potentially, you know, being a part of, doing like a U.S. bracket, you know, our, our, the fantasy booking kind of ran wild. Um, but in reality, this is what it is. I mean, at, at this point, you're still not giving visas out to new people who have applied. So it would have been impossible to get any new guys in. And um, it's very political when you involve other promotions, guys. So this was probably the easiest thing just to use their whole roster. Like you mentioned, everybody gets a payday um, and it kind of works out in their favor. Yeah. Uh, next question from the Dark Soldier: Should Desperado pin Okada and Hiromu win the New Japan Cup? I feel it'd be great momentum boost for the Junior Division and unexpected. Plus, Okada can get his win back on Desperado another day, and of course, he'll get the win on Hiromu. But at least give us some matches we don't usually see. What say you? Nah, they're too small, man. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time picturing Desperado beating Okada. Um, also, we've seen junior heavyweights beat heavyweights in the past before, but this is the the world heavyweight champion, and I know Okada has been knocked out in the first round before, but he's the ace. He's the biggest star. You got a long tour. I have a hard time seeing him just be stuck in multi mans for the rest of the tour and uh, being out of the tournament so quickly. I'll be very candid here. In no in no universe should Desperado ever be beating Kazushika Okada. Mm. That would be book. That'd be booking malpractice. Gato's stock as a booker would dry. It would drop drastically. I understand people like Desperado. I'm a fan of his. But if if Will Osprey, when he was at his zenith as a junior, couldn't beat Okada in the G1, there's no fucking way Desperado <laughs> <laughs> should be beating Okada, uh, unless unless something changes drastically. In the future, hell no. Hell, hell no. 
no, 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 no. Plus, you also have to recall, like, uh, uh, well, you know, I think Hiromu versus now the, the idea of Hiromu winning the tournament, I don't think he should. Um, but, you know, he was supposed to headline last year with, or two years ago with Naito. We never did get that match. That would have been very cool. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Hiromu is a cool dark horse pick for, for New Japan Cup. Maybe I could get with that. But Desperado being Okada, fuck no. Boy, ain't no way, boy. Boy, ain't no way. <laughs> uh, next question. Should a couple of NOAA talents had been brought into the New Japan Cup? So I know, I know, but it can provide us fresh matchups and carry some momentum you might have had from night three of Wrestle Kingdom. Well, you know, the, the whole thing with that is if you bring those guys, I'm assuming because they're including the strong hearts that this means we're going to get some sort of, on some level, prolonged program with them in New Japan working with somebody. You know, we've already talked about the Desperado thing. Right. Having guys from the outside in these tournaments, it only really, because usually they're not going to win, and if they are going to win, then you're working a program with the champion. If they don't win, it's it's not just the novelty act of just the fact that they're there, and it adds prestige. There's usually a storyline reason. There's continued business and so if they had brought Noah guys, and that would have been awesome because that would have been a, a sure sign that the night three Wrestle Kingdom wasn't a one and done and they have other plans moving forward. Since they haven't done that, it tells me they're, they probably not, aren't going to be doing anything like that. Right. And like we always mention, it's always you got to consider the politics of involved when you're involving another promotion. We saw how the politics played out for the Wrestle Kingdom night three. If you were to bring Noah guys in, I mean, one of them would have had to go some go the distance, probably maybe get to the finals or semifinals, and maybe that's just not in the plans for the storytelling that they have for the New Japan Cup. Yeah, them not including anyone from Noah tells me that they're probably not going to work with Noah again this year. That's I I'm I feel a lot stronger about it than I did or uh, prior to this. Yeah. Uh, so next question here from uh, at Mark Nato nineteen ninety says congrats on the engagement, Jeremy. What do you think of the New Japan Cup brackets? I think there are too many participants, and if they reduce the amount, they wouldn't need sixteen buys. I like that it allows entrants like Despi, but do we need Dick Togo and Gato? We've already explained. Yeah, uh, and he also asked, "What do you think are the final four? Um, and we will give our predictions for that uh, next week. But he says. That he thinks Okada, Cobb, and Osprey, and Shingo, with maybe Cobb winning. Also, do you see any upset wins by juniors? Hiroma looks like he is likely if he beats Sho and Suzuki. I do think uh, Hiromu could potentially beat Sho and Suzuki. That's a tough one, but possibly. Yeah. So that wraps up our talk on New Japan Cup for this week. Like we mentioned, next week, uh, Statman Chris Samsa will be on the air for us to break down New Japan Cup, talk about records and predictions and scenarios, all the New Japan Cup uh, data that you could want uh, heading into that tournament next week. So now let's uh, wrap up the show with some uh, quick items here. Um, so also this weekend, we had the continuation of the New Beginning USA Tour on Strong. Uh, show opened up with the Midnight Heat team, the Defy Tag Champs of Eddie Pearl and Ricky Gibson. They defeated the team of Kevin Knight in the DKC, nine minutes and 18 seconds. Um, 
yeah, just quick thought. I thought Midnight Heat uh, were pretty impressive. Um, you know, when people talk about FTR cosplaying uh, Midnight Express, these guys literally cosplayed them the way they dressed, uh, the match layout, move for move. That's literally what they're doing. Um, but I dug them. Yeah, it was a good match. It was kind of, you know, kind of that old school psychology and the way they were kind of cutting the faces off and kind of using the ref to uh, get heat and really just take advantage of uh, Kevin Knight in the DKC. I think the finish was a little messed up. They went for like the, the rope grab spot behind the ref's back, but had to kind of do it twice. It seemed like uh, Kevin Knight might have been out of position there. But yeah, Midnight Heat, they cheat to uh, get the win over uh, Kevin Knight in the DKC. So then the second match, we had uh, Fred Rosser defeating Gabriel Kidd, 14 minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, pretty hard-hitting matchup here. I was super, super impressed. Uh, we're running short on time, so I wish I could spend more time on this, but uh, extremely, extremely hard-hitting, as we've seen many times from Gabe Kidd and Fred Rosser. I don't think Fred Rosser was about that life with Gabe Kidd, though. Gabe Kidd seemed to be lighting him the fuck up. Yeah, the, um, the exchange spot when they were both in the Shibata position, um, Rosser was covering up pretty good. He did not, he ate like one slap and he was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I would too after CTE and people getting their eardrums busted. But uh, this match was really freaking awesome. Like, you know, we'll talk about what's going on with Gabe Kidd in the news, but as far as in ring, this guy's on fire. And, uh, you know, Fred Rosser is a, a pushed commodity and they really made them go 50 50 so i think that's a, a positive sign for gabe kidd in the company and big win for fred rosser yeah then the main event us of j open challenge jay lethal from aew answers a challenge here on this night and uh jay white defeats jay lethal at 20 minutes and seven seconds Two guys that have history going back to uh jay white's excursion days in ring of honor and uh, I thought this match was really good. Uh, I'd probably say that this was the best of the Jay White like challenge series matches that we've seen. So has it just been Christopher Daniels? Uh, yeah, I think Daniels. No, wait, did he? Was it just Daniels? Yeah, I think it's just the Daniels. But he's one. wrestled other people recently. Like I remember he wrestled uh, Fred Yehai. Yeah. So I mean. Um, so far, this is the match that I've liked the best with Jay White in this kind of role on Strong. And I thought Lethal had a great accounting of himself. The The match is really, really, really good. I, I think I prefer the Rosser-Gabe Kid match because it's a little more violent. But uh, two really awesome matches back-to-back. This is a, a super strong episode of New Japan Strong. Yeah, and we also got the first ever Both These Jays chant. This might be the only uh, time in history I can recall watching a New Japan program where they had three black guys back to back to back. Us. Us. <laughs> uh, you guys. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Let me uh, pull up the, the lineup for uh, next week's show. That just uh, came up here. Let's see. Yeah, we're getting a strong title match, right? Yes, uh, so yeah, the the main event will be uh, Filthy Tom Lawler defending the title against uh, Russ Taylor. We'll have uh, Drama King Matt Raywall taking on ELP, and then the show will open up with the Alpha Wolf Carl Fredericks taking on Defy's Ethan HD. 
So this will be the, uh, the conclusion of the new beginning in USA tour. Uh, should be a good closer to the tour. Looking forward to the title match as usual with uh, Filthy Tom and Taylor Rust. Um, New Japan Strong Style evolved here in Tampa. Uh, they announced a couple uh, talent announcements. Uh, Mascara Dorada, Jay Lethal, Swerve the Realist, and John Schuyler have all been added or made publicly announced for the show. And I saw a tweet earlier today saying that we've been patient. They're going to start doing match announcements for that show. Right. So those are those uh, matches I said earlier when we were uh, talking about uh, Jay White. So again, that's going to be um, US of J Open Challenge, uh, Ren Narita versus Jay Lethal, Blake Christian versus Swerve, and then Masca Dorada versus TJP. Yeah. Sounds very good. Um, you want to talk about Lions Roar very briefly? Yep, so Lions Roar Episode 7, uh, the guys, they had their showcase uh, show going on, and uh, pretty cool. It seemed like there was, like, uh, you know, three elements to their showcase. They had, like, sumo wrestling, then there was, like, a, a pinfall, like a shoot pinfall submission section, and then there was the final stage where it was uh, – actual pro wrestling uh, matchups and uh, it's pretty interesting that they did that interesting setup and um, you know they had uh, two of the young lions who had been to Japan but that got sent back were uh, in the main event of the show and they focused on I'm forgetting the guy's name but he's a guy who has like a I think Colombian parents um, and he moved to New Zealand so a lot of focus on him and yeah interesting stuff to see these guys uh, going through their showcase yeah, um, remind me of the showcase that we've done in the side dojo. <laughs> yeah. But uh, very, very cool. I like the episode a lot. I want to keep it brief. Um, one thing I will say, though, and then we can move on. I like the way that they cover their training for pro wrestling because, you know, obviously we all know pro wrestling's work. They have never done anything to really allude to the idea while these guys are prepping that it's for anything other than a real fight. You know, they're, so they're kind of keeping kayfabe. I mean, the most I think they've shown them doing the role in the ring is like maybe a role or two. Right. But most of the tra- most of the training they show them doing is either like real combat or strength and conditioning. They don't show them teaching them how to wrestle. They don't show them take teaching them how to take bumps and stuff like that. Uh, when they do show them wrestle, they only show them actually wrestling. So I kind of like that aspect where they're still being somewhat respectful. They're not like insulting the intelligence of the viewer, of course. They're not telling you everything we do is fake or is real, but they're also not like, uh, you know, pulling back the entire curtain and let you just see everything the way, like say tough enough. did. Right. Yeah. So it shows you the, their life, but still kind of, you know, protects it, keeps it kayfabe, makes it look like it's uh, legit. And, and that's respectful, which is good. Yeah. So uh, let's jump into the news real quick. I uh, just want to touch on the Observer Awards. I'll just uh, list out what uh, New Japan placed in this year. I remember back in the day, we did a whole segment on this where we talked about all the first place uh, things that New Japan got, but not quite the same this year. Uh, so Wrestler of the Year, second place, uh, Shingo. Most outstanding, first place, Shingo. Tag Team of the Year, uh, Dangerous Tickers came in fourth. Promotion of the Year, New Japan came in third. TV show of the year, New Japan Strong came in third. 
Uh, match of the year, second place was Osprey and Chingo uh, from uh, Dontaku. Seventh place was Abushi J. White from Wrestle Kingdom. And ninth was Osprey Shingo from New Japan Cup. Japanese MVP, uh, first was Shingo, third Okada, fourth Osprey, sixth Abushi, tenth Ishii. The Europe MVP, Osprey came in first, with Sabre came in fifth. The uh, Danny Hodge Award uh, for Best Non-Heavyweight, Hiromu came in third, Despy fourth, Eagles tied for seventh with Brian Danielson. Uh, Feud of the Year, seventh place, Osprey versus Shingo, most improved, fourth place, Jeff Cobb. The Brian Danielson Award, second place, Zack Sabre Jr. Bruiser Brody Award, third place, Ishii, fourth, Shingo, fifth, Suzuki, Best Flying, fourth was Osprey. Uh, most overrated, Evil won that. Coming in 10th, Great O'Conn, Rookie of the Year. 7th uh, place came Kevin Knight, tied with Colton Gunn from AEW. Ninth place was Oiwa, and 10th place was Vegeta. Best TV announcer, Kevin Kelly came in 2nd. Uh, best show, Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 came in ninth place. Best maneuver, 3rd place was Last of the Dragon. 4th was Stormbreaker, 5th Hidden Blade, Ninth the Pumping Bomber. Worst feud of the year, eighth place went to House of Torture versus Chaos. Best Booker, Gato came in fourth, promoter of the year. Kadani was fifth. Worst gimmick, House of Torture was third. And then the best book uh, that came in second place was the Voices of Wrestling New Japan year in ebook, uh, which I did have an article in that. Noise. So, yeah, I mean, the only award that uh, anyone from New Japan took home this year was uh, most outstanding wrestler Shingo, which makes sense considering the year he had. Yeah. Uh, then some updates on Gabriel Kidd. So this comes from uh, this is Dave's words from the Observer. Gabriel Kidd appears to be suffering from mental health issues. He had come public in October about his issues when he was on Twitter on February 16th and wrote, "This is real life. I have thick, thick skin. None of you can say shit to me." But now you're affecting my mother's mental health, so I will come to your house and punch you. Real talk, stop this nonsense. I'm a 24-year-old trying to show the world what I believe in. Uh, Kid was in Los Angeles on the beach later doing another message where he, again, talked about people on Twitter now affecting his mother's mental health. What appeared to set him off is that he defended a friend of his who was accused of something by a woman and who he believed was accused wrongly. And for doing so, people came after him. He did not appear at the next set of strong tapings in L.A., uh, he was set to face Christopher Daniels, and he was replaced by Carl Fredericks. Huh. Yeah, that's not good. I didn't actually even have all the inside uh, knowledge about what happened with this. I saw a couple things on Twitter, but I did see the uh, tweet that Will Ospreay, you know, sent out the other day that was like, if you're inter- interacting with uh, Gabriel Kidd on like Twitter, please don't. This is a mental health issue. It's being addressed, you know, uh, you know, give him some privacy and respect it basically. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that's not good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he was on a podcast. I think he might, he offended somebody from speaking out. And so obviously people came after him and that didn't affect him very well. And so, yeah, it's obviously not the best uh, thing for Gabriel kid right now. Who's, you know, been looking great in his matches, like you mentioned earlier, and seems to be very promising wrestling career, but also, you know, he's still struggling with his uh, mental Health issues here, so they had they had to pull him, and I'm sure they're they're trying to get him some more help. Uh, so other news, we had uh, David Finley. He did an interview with uh, Denise uh, Salcedo, and when talking about him and going to WWE, he said, "From time to time, uh, the thought pops into my head. Honestly, it's never really been somewhere where I've been dying to go. If the opportunity presents itself, we'll see. But I am happy where I'm at. I am not on the road 24/7, and I actually have time. I have time off." 
Uh, there's pros and cons of it, but right now I'm happy and content. I love wrestling for New Japan. I love the schedule that I have and the freedom I have. So I currently have no desire to go anywhere else. So a little uh, different uh, tune that we got from news stories earlier. Then uh, Tanahashi did an interview talking about Kiji Moto and wrestling him in 2004. And his answer in many ways related to the tag match from uh, the Yokohama Arena show. His words were, the thing is that a win, lose, or draw, the entire flow of a Muto match is around Muto. He really out- outshines whatever opponent is opposite him to the point that you don't remember the guy he faces. You only remember Muto. When I wrestle, I try to get the other guy to shine as much as possible, but that isn't Muto's game plan. Well, the thing is, he was still one of them, if not the biggest star around at the time, and I still wasn't at that level, so it was close. It was a case of me feeling that I had finally gotten this far, and I was able to face the guy I worked as an attendant for. Um, in other news, we already talked about Tam Tonga signing a new contract, and then last piece of news here, uh, Minoru Suzuki will be facing uh, Biff Busick, the former only Logan at the... Uh, at Bloodsport, WrestleMania weekend, or actually at the WrestleCon Super Show, and also Onita was announced for the WrestleCon Super Show as well, March 31st in Dallas. Uh, we had a uh, few non-topic questions here. You want me to bump that for next week? No, we can hit them real quick. Okay, uh, No Alarm1995 says, where does Kenta fit in when he comes back from injury? That's a great question. Uh, I think the big question is... Uh, What's happening with the Bull Club, and how does that relate to him? Right, and obviously he was last seen in the U.S. scene, um, you know, failed to make a successful defense, so maybe he'll try and get another U.S. shot. Also asked, will Shingo ever get his world title rematch? He never got another chance after losing to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, probably, but there's never been a distinct rule that someone drops the the title in new japan they get a immediate rematch i i can't even recall the last time that ever happened yeah that's very very rare that somebody would ever get an immediate rematch um this is a normal kind of new japan playbook like you lose a belt it's, you know we joke about going back to the bottom but you kind of gotta reset and re-earn your towel shot yeah Unlike all the other titles where you can just walk out and point to something, <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to get in position storyline-wise to, uh, you know, to challenge again. Yeah. Uh, two questions here from Barry Walsh. He says, if for some reason both Tanahashi and Okada walked away tomorrow, who do you think would be remembered more fondly years to come? The ace for carrying the company through the hard times or the prodigy who led it to the highest heights? It's a tough question. Um I don't know. Like there, there's a part of me that feels like it should be Tanahashi automatically, but you know, I don't know what this current, uh, you know, generation of wrestling viewers, how they feel about Tanahashi. Cause they might not have been watching at that time. And so maybe that's how they, they kind of view Okada as like the franchise guy, you know? So I don't know. Right. I, I it's hard to answer. And I mean, these guys are so linked together and I'll see Tanahashi like you mentioned in his interview, he likes getting other guys over. Tanahashi was very instrumental in helping Okada, you know, get over and get to this level. So it's kind of hard to think about Okada without thinking about Tanahashi. So that, that's a hard one for me. Uh, he also asked, does it not concern you that New Japan doesn't seem to be offering contracts to free agents? I know a lot uh, feature on Strong, but Buddy Matthews, I read today, is joining AEW and Brody King went too. I worry that although they can use people here and there on strong by not telling people, they will never get to use them 
often enough in Japan and in time it causes the likes of Jay to leave for one of the U.S. promotions. Do you have any opinion on this matter? Well, you know, it's it's a tough question because, um, you know, we talked last week about the New Japan Strong contracts and the variety of different types of contracts that they have, you know, as confirmed by Rocky on Wrestling Observer Live. It's great that they have New Japan Strong as a platform, but they're not making a lot of money in the States with that. You know, they don't have a TV deal. They're not getting you know, TV rights deals or, you know, uh, anything like that by doing New Japan Strong. It's still just live touring and it's, they haven't been overly successful with it. So my big question is what money do they have to buy the likes of Buddy Murphy, you know, or Brody King or someone like that? They don't really have the capital in this particular project to make big signings like that. And the only other way that that would be, uh, beneficial to them is you know if they did bring those guys to japan and there are some people who would be great uh investments for the u.s product but not might not have the reputation or or the um, same kind of business effect in japan you know so if you pay you pay a buddy murphy big money to be a, a franchise guy on new japan strong and then you want to bring him to japan He's going to come in as an outsider that they don't know. He's not John Moxley. And, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just yeah. going to be really difficult for them to justify paying someone who's not an asset in both markets that kind of money, especially since Strong just doesn't generate that much. Right. You hit on points I was going to say. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you're not going to pay, like you mentioned, Buddy Murphy, a big money contract just to wrestle once a month on strong like they don't have the money and even if they did have the money it would make no sense to give these guys contracts and they're only working strong like if the if they were going to japan sure yeah lock guys down send them to japan but without being able to get these guys visas it doesn't make sense to lock them down on contracts especially when you can't send them over to japan right and then the other thing too is um you know Guys are taking pay cuts this year, <laughs> right? On their contracts, you know. So um, I'm not sure financially, based on everything that's happened since the pandemic, what kind of position they're in to uh, to be handing out those uh, those big money contracts. You know, they don't get TV rights the way AEW AEW and WWE do. You know, they have a different business model altogether, right? Then last question here from Stale Burger Bun. Uh, should any wrestler be allowed to do the Shibata sit-down pose, or should you have to train in the LA Dojo first? <laughs> yeah, I, I did see a clip where Gabe Kidd was literally – did you see that, where he was mad at uh, Kato Kiyomiya for doing the uh, Shibata sit-down pose? Yeah. I don't know. I was – the thing is um, – and I can't remember if I said this last week is like, I just don't know if um, this is like when he's on uh, the radio and getting angry at other wrestlers doing the pose, if he's just trying to be smart and work himself into business with those guys down the road, or if he's like literally a mark and like wants to like actually fight those guys. I, it's hard to tell, with him, but um, I don't think, uh, I don't think it should really matter. 
Yeah, like if you, you want to do it for an angle, that's one thing. But if you're like legit, like you know, going off about it, like it doesn't quite make sense. So I did see. I uh, you know I won't bring it up. I was going to mention one of the things I saw him tweet, but I feel like that should be me, like mocking or whatever. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So uh, last thing here, uh, recommended match of the week. Last week I recommended uh, Jay White versus now Michi Marafuji from uh, May 19th, 2016, Liongate Project 2. So this was one, um, you know, in 12 minutes, 41 seconds, I thought it was interesting, but uh, I thought it was far from a great match. Had you seen it before you recommended it to me? I had not seen it. So I watched it for the first time this week also. Yeah, I mean, considering who's involved in it, I was a little disappointed. Um, even by the standards of like some of we've seen similar matches uh, to this in other Lionsgate project uh, shows. Um, I can't say that I was watching it back in 2016 when this one occurred, so I hadn't seen this match. But um, yeah, even by the standards of Lionsgate projects, I thought that this was a little uh, disappointing. You know, um, I don't know that I believe Marafuji in that at least in this match, in that grizzled vet, you know, uh, kind of role where he uh, is sort of, you know, I guess teaching the, you know, up and coming like a lion. I just, I don't know. I felt like there was something off between them and and the match was a a little bit just disappointing to me. Yeah, obviously it wasn't a a blow-away matchup. I still thought it was kind of a, Interesting matchup, and um, I mean, also it was interesting. Uh, Jay wasn't at, was at his wasn't at his best um, this night, but I mean, I thought, thought he looked good, and it was a fun you know twelve minute main event here, um, and kind of just showed some of the, you know we don't really see like a high flying Jay, you know, we did like that uh, baseball slide, a more kind of faster pace offense, and also we don't really quite get that with the, the heel Jay, so that was kind of interesting to see. But yeah, just kind of humble beginnings here for uh, Switchblade. Yeah, definitely humble beginnings. They'd uh, done something similar on the evening. It looks like they had uh, Juice Robinson versus Goshi Ozaki and then Dave Finley against Ogawa. So it looks like they had the Gaijin Lions that were in the dojo at the time kind of face off against established Noah guys on the show. Yeah. I did hear good things about the Shiozaki Juice match. Mm. Um, yeah, so that one might be worth checking out. This one's de- if you're uh, a Jay White fan, definitely check this out. I mean, it's worth um, you know kind of taking a look and and just seeing the history here. And you know, I, one has to wonder what a Marafuji Jay White match would look like nowadays. Oh yeah, I think it'd be a whole different ball game. Kind of like Ken, right. Kenny was saying in the Observer interview, like he he wants to wrestle this Jay White because he's like on a, a different level, even from the beginning days of the Switchblade. So yeah, one hundred percent. So what do you got for uh, this week? So um, this one is not technically a New Japan match, but I think we can get it to work. Um, I'm going to recommend the death match between June Kasai and El Desperado from Taka Taichi Mania 2. Mm. Is that and, uh, is, is it on World or is it uh, somewhere else? You're going to have to go on the internet to find it, but it's there. Okay. Yeah, it should be interesting. That the match he uh, broke his jaw in, right? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think I never checked that out. So, yeah, that should be a fun match to uh, check out. And that's going to uh, wrap things up 
for us this week. Like we mentioned, next week we'll be back with Chris Samsa to preview and break down the New Japan Cup, and we'll talk about any happenings from the anniversary event as well. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuitflex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. Facebook, facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also, we're in the Wrestling Square Circle group, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Square Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the AW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy butt. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.